podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Zero Pucks Given, the UK ice hockey podcast. We are in partnership with Blades Belong on Your Feet, the charity fighting knife crime with ice skating, and we are sponsored by Ivory Tower Fitness, the premier private gym and personal training studio in Colchester. A season review episode here this week. We're going to run through each team in the league, have a look at their top top performers and their best results. Obviously, we've already done one and two with uh, Chris and Joe last week going over Streatham and Solent. We've got a little update on the Chieftains' end of season awards evening, who won what, as well as uh, Academy and some GB results too. This week's episode also has a couple of guests. I'm joined by one of the long stays of UK ice hockey media, Anthony Russell from Banners on the Wall, who's going to be doing the season review with me. And I am joined by longtime Chieftains fan favourite, Sonny Phillips. But let's get started with the news from the Chieftains' end of season awards. <laughs> The presentations were kicked off with a nice speech from Danny Wright. He was joined on the mic by Captain Callum Burnett, who presented the first award for Players Player of the Season. And we are running out of superlatives for this lad. He's been a fan favourite since he broke into the team and is so popular in the dressing room, not only for his incredible level of performances, but his natural charm and charisma. This season, he's done the entire team and club proud, and recently his country, Players Player of the Season, was Luca Tassadri. On to coaches player of the season then. Anthony Leone took the mic as he stepped up to take the bench for the end of the season and his choice for his player of the year was one of the new players. He plays every time he's available. He works incredibly hard, puts his body on the line and always takes one for the team. Coach's player was Dan Hitchens. On to another coveted award, the Supporters Player of the Year. The fans have been voting and the outcome was no surprise really. This player never stops, come hard knock or facial injury. Probably the fastest skater on the team. Chips in with the odd goal too. Supporters Player of the Season was TJ Fillery. (laughs) 
There was a few special player awards as well. Some fun ones for the biggest threat to fans, which went to Dan Fay. Worst dressed went to George Gell, who was unfortunately not in attendance for us all to see how bad he was dressed. Best dressed to the main man, Anthony Leone. Dick of the year to Callum Burnett for dislocating his shoulder during a selly. Smelliest kit to Dan Hitchings. Most time on the physio table to James Pentecost. Least likely to shower was a landslide for Jaden Balker. However, there were some big ones amongst these awards, which were Best Fight, which was won by Kieran Rayner for his tilt down at Invicta, ended by a sweet uppercut. Goal of the season, which was obviously the between-the-legs top-shelf finish in the cup against Oxford City Stars for Grant Bartlett. Most improved player was a very popular reward, and this young man has not only been through an unbelievable ordeal personally, spent some time riding the pine due to the imports on the ice rule, but became indispensable, and when we all look forward to seeing more of him in the future, most improved player went to Sasha Maltsev. The Sportsman of the Year went to our Supporters Player of the Year, TJ Fillery, as popular amongst the lads as he is amongst the fans. And the final one was the club MVP, the most valuable player. And it went to the ever popular Luca Tassadri. And that's the awards evening over and done with. Congratulations to all the boys for winning their awards. All very well deserved. In the academy this weekend in the under-16s, Tomahawks had two games. They beat Swindon by two goals to nil. And they beat Slough by five goals to nil. Fantastic weekend for the Tomahawks. Seven scored, none conceded. The under-18s, Mohawks, they were at home to Swindon on Sunday. They took the lead in the first minute when Alex Howe scored unassisted. But unfortunately, three goals from Swindon in nine third-period minutes put the game to bed. And they took away the 3-1 victory. The swan song there for Luca Tassadri, Migas Canis and Chris Beckett. All Chieftains, of course, making their under-18s final appearance. The GB ladies then, they have now returned from their trip to Korea where they did what they kind of hoped to do. They've stayed in the same division. They didn't go down, they didn't go up. Uh, But it was a little bit of a... The results kind of showing that it wasn't as good a trip as it actually was. The performances, if if you'd watched them, they played fantastic hockey a lot of the time and were quite unlucky. A couple of dodgy decisions in a couple of the games as well going against them. They uh, had a 50-50 in the warm-up games. They beat Poland 6-2 and they lost 3-1 to Kazakhstan. And they were reversed, actually, as they played in the group stage. They uh, they beat Kazakhstan by one goal to nil. Poland beat them by two goals to one. They lost 2-0 to Italy in an incredibly physical game and were beaten 3-2 by Korea with an extremely close buzzer goal for the third goal that no one could quite see whether it hit the net, net whatever the line before the buzzer, but the goal was given in Korea. Shocker. Uh, and then they finished uh, against Slovenia with a 4-3 defeat with a shootout. Uh, just five each in the shootout. Slovenia took it 1-0, so the 4-3 result stands there. Uh, the girls are now home. The under-16s, they went out to a tournament with Chelmsford players Joe Tamarlin and Harrison Prentice. They finished ninth out of 16 teams. They had five wins, one draw, one defeat, so a very successful trip for the GB16s. And hopefully I might well be chatting to Joe Tamarlin and Harrison Prentice at some point to they can tell me all about their trip to Riga and how it went for them. So what we're going to do now is jump into a season review. We obviously spoke with uh, Chris and Joe last week and we did Solent and Streatham. I'm going to be joined by Anthony Russell from Banners on the Wall and we're going to take the rest of the league. Let's ruin everything, everything, everything. Let's ruin everything, everything, yeah. 
Pucks Given in partnership with Blades Belong on Your Feet and sponsored by Ivory Tower Fitness. We are joined by one of UK ice hockey's long stays in the media world, Anthony Russell from Banners on the Wall. How are you doing this evening, sir? Not too bad, thank you, mate. Uh, not to pull back the curtain too much on people, but it's a, but it's a Monday evening, so I, can, I can't think of many better things to to get rid of get rid of Monday and the fact that it is absolutely weeing it down outside than to talk about uh, to talk about ice hockey for a little bit of time. <laughs> so thank you very much for the for having me on. Well, you've just told me you won't be streaming this Wednesday, so we went for Monday so that I didn't make you do two nights in a row. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did say to people last week on um, on the What's Current stream that I was going to have, I, I think I've earned a week off. I think I, I didn't miss a week through the season, um, streamed at what uh, streamed sort of between periods of games and did all kinds of bits and pieces. So the fact that, especially given Basingstoke's end of this end of the season, it's been very, very sort of busy uh, with writing stuff about what what's happened with the Bison into playoffs, into post playoff bits and pieces. Now I think I've earned a week off um, from, uh, yeah. from streaming. So uh, not that it'll be not disappear entirely over the summer, but the frequency always slows down, and then come September, back to it. Full speed. Absolutely. I think I think you you're probably my penultimate. I think I've got one more um, next week. I've got a special for the Solon Devils fans. I've actually got Chico Cole coming on Yay. to talk about his retirement and give, give him a little chance to say goodbye to to all the fans as well. But, uh, and then hopefully, player, Chico. quality player Chico. It's, yeah, a bit, it's always a bit of a shame that he never got the opportunity to kind of play a little bit higher. I think that ve- that small stint at Whiteling, which just didn't really work out for him, I think kind of sort of dented things. In, in some ways. I'd be really interested to hear his thoughts on that. Mm. Uh, so there you go, Chico. There's your first question before you've even started. <laughs> um, but yeah, quality player. I think I think, so, I think Joe Scutts from NHL Stats worked out that sort of at third tier level, the fact he finishes with a career save percentage over 92%. Just yeah. sh- should have had a look in at a, mu- at a much higher level, but that's not that's not where life takes us. Sometimes Chico is a, is a boy of the South Coast and he's, he's stayed there and I, I, you know, hope, hopefully as and when those decisions eventually get made, because I don't believe Solon have any uh, have any retired jerseys. But to be honest, I think they probably should have taken the number one off of him in Milton Keynes and just nail gunned it to the wall. Just yeah. take, run it back down, run it back down the motorway and put it straight on the wall in Gosport. Because I think if anyone deserves that honour in um, for, for Solon and Gosport, I think it's probably Chica. Yeah, he was he was my netminder in my team of the year for NIHL One South as well. It's um. Uh, obviously, I've been at Chelmsford. I've seen a couple of, of good ones myself with Luca Tassadri and Sonny Phillips, but he is, Chico Cole is the best in the league with it, without a doubt. Yeah, very much so. So, unfortunately, I, I, you know, for us, I cut our workload down slightly with uh, Joe and Chris last week. I did the season reviews of Solent and Streatham. Mm. So, uh, we're going to go with the, the rest of the league and we're going to work from the bottom up uh, and start yep. with the eighth place Milton Keynes Thunder. Uh, nine points in total, I believe, that they, they gathered throughout the year. Three wins, 22 losses, three overtime losses, and a 22-0 to beat to Streatham in there. Did that, that reverberated around the UK hockey world, that, didn't it? I think it did, but I think the problem sometimes people... Um... I think the problem sometimes people have with the with these kind of things is that the extremes get taken as sim- of symptoms of the bigger virus rather than kind of uh, looking more at things, uh, more at looking at the whole thing. The real big issue, I think, for the Thunder this year was kind of the loss of um, of Tom Carlin and Gareth O'Flaherty when they decided to move to Telford, which, to mm. be fair, 
can't blame either of the, either of them for no. and very much for Tommy Carlon kind of like the big last hurrah for him um but the i think the the issue i think for the thunder was just the sh- the, the massive drop off following those two leaving because you lose two elder statesmen of british hockey because now carlon and gareth are both um are both called time and you, that was a real chance for somebody to step up into that role and say, yeah we've lost these two big guys and yeah maybe we are going to finish uh, we are going to finish bottom of the table, but let's keep it close. And actually, the beginning of the year, one of the things that struck me with MK was that they weren't losing by massive um, by massive amounts. You know, they were kind of, yeah, they were losing games, but they were they were hanging around. Yeah. And actually, when you're a really, really young roster like like MKR in the main, to hang around is sometimes what you need to do because you know, the Thunder's meant to be this idea of pulling through those those MK under 16s and 18s into senior hockey. It's great. And then Carl and I Flaherty leave and they just went off. They, you know, they went off a cliff faster than a rock with a rocket attached to it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's before the... those two left, they did have, they beat Raiders 9-4. Uh, I think that was actually at the Sapphire. They come to the Riverside and won 4-1 as well mm. uh, at the start of the season. So yeah, before those two did make their way up to Telford, they were getting results. Yeah, but, um, and it's just yeah, it's is. one of those uh, one of those things, isn't it? And I mean, you look at the, I mean, the biggest story really with it with a team like this is with any team towards the bottom of the table is just the sheer lack of the sheer lack of goal scoring. Sixty five goals in twenty eight games just mm. isn't enough. Like no. we can you know, obviously the goals against is going to look slightly lopsided because if you if you ship what looks you know twenty two nils the first couple of overs of a decent cricket match. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, if you can't, if you can't, if you think as well, I mean, the only team that every team scored over a hundred goals in South One, bar two, one was MK and the other was Slough, who only scored seventy nine goals. Yeah, um, amazingly, this, amazingly this year. But you think of how much more effective but Slough were, much more effective and much more clinical, I think, than MK. I feel really bad. I do feel a bit bad for the Thunder and the folk who regularly regularly go there. And there are again rumours swirling around when it comes to the Thunder as to whether they they drop down into South Two. Um, I don't necessarily know whether it's the worst thing for them to do that, given the given the rumours of some teams that want to come up into South One. But mm. these are the sort of things that will work their way out during the summer. I think. Yeah, I think it does need a restructure. It's something I discussed in previous episodes, I think, with actually Chris and Joe last week, that mm. having eight teams in this league and 13 in the one below creates no real sort of playoff drama in this league because mm. everybody qualified for the quarterfinals. And like I said, I don't think that it's doing Milton Keynes any favours getting tonked 22-0, 14-3, as they were towards the end of the season. I think but if the they were to down... Yeah, if they drop down, there's a lot there. The thing I'd say in response to that, though, is that, and, and it's for people who, who've paid attention a little bit to things up in the north, is you look at a team like the Nottingham Lions, the Nottingham Lions had a period of time pre-pandemic where they got beaten like a piñata at a kid's party. Mm. And these things do sort of come in cycles. And there's meant to be some decent crops of youngsters in, in, in Milton Keynes that are starting to slowly bleed their way through. And like, not every kid is going to be in a position where they can step straight up to the lightning and you know i think of a player like ollie nags for example who has been very very highly spoken about by a lot of people i know who watch milton Keynes hockey and not just the lightning but it sometimes takes time these things work in cycles like i remember stretton being absolute dog for years like celebrating not being relegated that level's worth of stuff and i think the thing is 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 this the trick is for Milton Keynes here, is this them going through the down before they come up or is this, there's just not enough there and they need to maybe step, 
step backwards to step forwards a little bit. Well. There's 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 questions in the air there that um, that I don't think either of us can answer easily on a Monday night. No, no, I, w- I would agree. I think um, going down to the two will probably help some of the young players that are coming through. Obviously, the level of commitment in the two is slightly less than the one. Mm. Um, so th- that may help them. Um, in terms of coming up from two, I mean, I've I've always sort of po- pointed at Harringay Huskies, perhaps the Peterborough Phantoms and the Guildford Phoenix. I think you need to look further west for a team that would be in a much better position to step up into the one, which for me is Bristol. Um, well, yeah. I think the... Um, Still got their I, one team, really, haven't they, in the two? Yeah, and I mean, it's the... Um, and they, they've done that for they, you know they've obviously done that for the reasons that they chose to do it. I don't I don't know why they didn't try to hang around in Div One, but maybe just having that little bit of separation, as it were, probably helped. And also some of those guys that were playing Div One, um, you know, dropping into Div Two. In some ways, you end up with more games because you know there's more teams to play. But the um, I think there's a, certainly a couple of teams that would definitely look to to st- uh, to step up. But the, the question, I think, for a lot of these guys who are playing Div 2 is they're playing Div 2 because they want to play, but they don't want that level's worth of travel and commitment, mm. which sounds a bit of a misnomer with South 2 because you go as far east as Gillingham and as far west as Cardiff back. Cardiff, yeah. But, um, but certainly the ability, you, know, you can, you can. it's much easier for guys to duck out and, you know, maybe get a bit of the, you know, the seven bridge flu and not fancy travelling across into God's country. But um, the... I think there's definitely a couple of teams. Harringay getting getting the plexi put into Ali Pali, I think, is massive, and I think it's probably a statement of intent from them towards if if they don't go don't go this September, maybe they go the year after. Yeah. Um, Guildford will be an interesting one because I I wonder if they moved into South One, what their arrangement would be with things like ice time uh, at the Spectrum. The Spectrum's a very very busy place, and also well loved i think it's probably the best way to describe the spectrum now <laughs> after that many years um so whether you know what they what they choose to do there definitely needs to be a restructure and if milton Keynes decided to drop down for whatever reason and it's entirely their you know it's their decision but if they did drop down there's definitely at least a couple of teams who would definitely have a definitely have a very very serious conversation amongst themselves to step into milton Keynes' shoes if they wanted to do so mm. to, to finish off milton Keynes with a couple of their players that i think have had good years for them, obviously, despite what looks on paper quite a disappointing year. Uh, Alex White was their top point scorer. He, he has, of course, left for Pastures yep. New, of which we're not entirely sure yet. Even though we can all probably guess. There's probably rumours, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has. A, and I think Hayden Hager had a fantastic year as well. Not a, got, not a guy I'm, I'm massively, massively, uh, massively familiar with. The name of their young netminder is escaping me, but I've heard some very, very good uh, things Graziano. About. Yes. Uh, yes, I've heard some very, very good things about about that young man. Obviously, unfortunately, yeah, got got lit up like a Christmas tree a little bit the other week. But mm. there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of very, very good things said about him um, across the across the entirety of the of the season. Not just in a um, sorry we sorry we shelled you kind mm. of a kind of levels worth of a worth of stuff. Bless his heart. Yeah. He's up desperately trying to find his proper name. So I want to say is that I want to say his actual name, Vincent Graziano. Vincent Graziano. I think he's actually made the under eighteen draft selection as well. Uh, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. It's a it's a good thing, a good way for a couple of these a couple of these younger guys who are kind of on the edges of um, of things like sort of uh, north and south one to just get a little bit of extra hockey. Their last little bit of under eighteens before they have to kind of kiss juniors goodbye, get their last chance to play with some of some of their mates they might not get to play with again. So fair yeah. play, fair play to the fair play to the lad. I mean, just just skipping through when you think of how much. Um, 
of how many of how many pucks both him and, and Craig Bradfield have, have faced this season. For the both of them to have, I mean, Brad, Craig Bradfield's ended up with an 89, nearly a 90 save percentage on the MK Thunder with a goals against of six. Like that's mad. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good year on a bat on a bad team. And Vincent's ended up with an 84, nearly 84 percent save percentage with a goals against of over eight. Like. That's that is a tough gig. <laughs> so, yeah. fair. so the fact people are still speaking about Vincent in, in decent terms, I think, says something about his play. Absolutely, yeah. And it's I think you know if he's having one of those nights, he can actually make it quite frustrating mm. uh, for you, especially if you're able to sort of get through the thunder and create the chances. Yeah. He does tend to stand on his head quite regularly. Um, and we actually had at Chelmsford Sunday, we had three of our Chieftains players make their final bow for the under 18s. Mm. So they're done with juniors now. So it's uh, yeah, it's coming time for quite a few of the lads now. Uh, so moving up then from eighth into seventh uh, is the Oxford City Stars. There we um, did discuss, you know, just before we came on air, actually discussed one of their players previously. Twenty-four points, eleven wins, fifteen defeats, two overtime losses. Uh, they actually had, I think, seventh looks harsh on them. I think they actually had quite a good year. I think that's sort all of that. It felt a little bit like um, like Southie was kind of split a little bit into kind of three kind of sections, mm. which was kind of Solon, Streatham and Solon kind of lurking around the top because even though Solon we knew were going to be the more dominant force in this league, Solon always kept them within arm's reach. And then you had this sort of weird middle pack of Slough playing well, in uh, but then having dips and Invictus being in and out and Chelmsford kind of being in and out in that sort of middle raft of it and then you had the three sort of a little further down which was Romford uh, it was which was Romford Oxford and MK you almost could put MK on their own a little bit um, as the further the season went on and and yeah I mean like Romford's making of the finals weekend felt was a felt like them very much kind of punching above their weight again because mm. their league form was just they leave Romford's league form yo-yoed all over the place and we'll talk about that in a bit obviously but Oxford like you say yeah I mean Oxford it felt like at times they just never quite got their got their claws into kind of what into getting a really really good run going i mean just just sort of just sort of quick trying to skim through uh looking at looking at bits and pieces here because of course obviously they've had the cup chucked into this as well and i'm just yeah. trying to see um so they're a five game losing streak a six game losing streak but they never sort of won more than like one or two like three on the bounce is their longest winning streak of that of the season yeah. and you think if there's a couple and there's a couple of games in there as um in there as well where they lost them by not an awful lot there was a couple of games right at the beginning of the year they went on a three game winning streak to start the season and then lost four on the bounce all by a goal yeah. And it's the difference between a good between an okay side and a good side is the ability to convert those one goal losses into one into one goal wins, even if you have to sort of squeak them out in overtime um, a little bit. But that Oxford side was, I think, is kind of a team that's more than a sum of its parts. There's not a ton of people. I mean, there's obviously names people recognise, like Dax Hedges feels like he's been around forever. Mm. But uh, the um, but there's no, I think this is a team and it's a very Simon Anderson coaching trait that's kind of more than the sum of its parts, um, kind of kind of levels of levels worth of stuff. Like, yeah, there's names, you know, there's a few people in there and obviously the the arrangement with Bristol. So they had people like Bailey Hind Pitcher uh, coming in. Josh Abbott stepped up from Guildford and winning a Grand Slam last year. And obviously, yeah, yeah we talked about, talked about Xander Wardlaw as well. Um, yeah. 
Joe Lennon they had from Bristol as well. And that when that man is on the ice, he is enormous. Yeah. Yeah, I stood stood behind him in the queue for the bar at Milton Keynes last year and I couldn't see the bar. (laughs) That is a a large lad. But yeah, but you think about like it's not a it's obviously not a very, very long schedule in um uh in South One, was it like twenty eight games in the in the regular in the regular season. And I mean there's and there's guys who've obviously been in and out you know, in and out of that little bit of the roster. But you think there's some pretty decent performances in there. Like we talked about Wardlaw. He was over, Wardlaw's over a point a game. Josh Abbott over a point per game. Aaron Moody over a point per game. Baderheim Pitcher only played 13 games, had 20, 23 points. Matt Lorday was a point, um, was a point a game. Um, Dax Hedges himself was just over, it was just over a point per game. Um, and, you know, there's, there's lots of, Lots of little bits and pieces of kind of putting it together. There's no superstars there. I can't remember, you know, but I haven't seen a, a, a full whack all-star, you know, whether an all-star team was done for South One this year. But it feels like Oxford, if they can, if they, like I say, if they can convert some of those narrow losses into wins, they're starting to pull themselves into that conversation more with your Invicta, with your Chelmsford, with your Slough. Mm. Because I think for Oxford to leap that high up where they're starting to challenge Streatham in a, straight away might um might be a little bit with the beyond the ask even if simon anderson's very considerable <laughs> coaching talent um, well they did have victories throughout the season i mean february mm. particularly for them they only lost twice in february they beat milton Keynes and raiders both three times they mm. beat Invictor quite comfortably in the february as well um also beat them in the cup as well earlier in the year mm. yeah and i think but i think this is this is the issue that the Oxford have had the last couple of years. It's just getting any level of consistency going and it's just yeah. getting, um, getting, you know, being able to, uh, to really, really sort of turn some of these bits and pieces, uh, bits and pieces around. I mean, there's a, a chunk here where I just lost which part of the date this is, but it's sort of around sort of December, that's sort of de- just before the December break into, into the new year, but they lose their last game for Christmas. They lose six nil. Then they lose five, four to Chelmsford, lose five, three to Invicta, lose four nil to Invicta, four, three to Solon before Chelmsford gave them a bit of a, gave them a bit of a, bit of a whacking as well. And you think that they're, they're not a million miles away. They're not a million no. miles away, but you can think, but you and I, but there's probably a few people and people listening as well can probably think of those names in those rosters, whether it's Solon, Chelmsford or Invicta that just put the, put Oxford just that little bit behind the eight ball before they're starting. And you can't, you can't have a team of Zahn, of Zahn the Wardlows, but you think of maybe having a Barclay, let alone both, or you think yeah. of a, or you think of a Husker or a, or a la, uh, or a Laz check or a, uh, or you know whoever you want to name off of Solon, even like like a Steve Osman. If you think of what Steve Osman could have done on a on an Oxford side, on a, you know with a loan maybe like with somebody like Wardlaw and and Abbott, what sort of damage they could have done. And yeah, it makes you a bit of a one line team, but one line can do an awful lot of damage if they're given yeah, the absolutely to do so. So yeah, I, th- I think a good season for them. I think if they can keep hold of most of that roster and, and add a few more in, they're, obviously their city stars, the rising stars, rather their second team, they had quite a good year. So yeah, I think they can certainly keep it competitive. Yeah, certainly. And the right and the, that rising stars team is obviously sort of brand new, and it's the first sort of senior hockey experience for uh, for a lot of for a lot of them. Uh, you know, I remember watching Ben Mollett skating around as a as a mascot in in Basingstoke, doing all kinds of great, doing all kinds of crazy things, not like being the, the true netminder. But um, <laughs> the um, but yeah, there's like Oxford's. You know, if they can find the way to start getting, you know, to fill those gaps when guys get older and want to do different things, to pull through some of those rising stars, 
guys and as well making use of that relationship with bristol as well because bristol are gonna attract players that are gonna need um you know whether it's from the twos or the ones needing to come down and get ice time there's gonna be guys who are gonna um who they'll be able to kind of supplement the lineup with and kind of do some bits and pieces with so yeah yeah excellent stuff for them uh, up into sixth place then, we've got the Raiders Junior, 25 points, 11 wins, 14 defeats, three overtime losses. Their top point scorer was very, very close to making my all-star team, to be fair, uh, TJ Anderson. Uh, uh, what seems he had to... a superb weekend in Coventry, TJ. And I think, mm. obviously, Raiders Raiders fans in general were obviously, um, you know, we're very, we're very upset on, on that Sunday afternoon, but... Um, one of the big things, and certainly it was very, very true in, this, in the semi-final, was the story of the weekend, really, for the Raiders was their third line of uh, of Blaslav Novak, TJ Anderson and Mikey Power, with sort of Jacob Ranson kind of rotating around into different positions as and when he was needed, which is um, very Jacob. But TJ, is, uh, TJ showed up at Coventry, like really, really showed up and went against Sheffield, where the top six of both sides kind of sort of nullified each other a bit. Um, and TJ scored an at his second goal when the highlights eventually come out. The finish yeah. he does on a really, really experienced all-star netminder in Dimitri Zimonstra. The kid is is very, very clearly on the bike and really, really wants to get going. And then he he gave an an, an equally good performance the next day. And yeah, it didn't it didn't come off uh, against a Leeds Knights team that has been the best team in the country by a mile. Yeah. But they but he. He's the thing with TJ is it's really easy to be given that opportunity and look out of place, especially on a big stage. And and I've I've been fortunate enough to see TJ a couple of times this year because he's just ended up playing with the seniors in Basingstoke rather than being being with Ray, uh, you know the Raiders uh, the juniors haven't had a, a game that night. Mm-hmm. But the one thing he's always he's always managed to do is just make the most of the opportunity, doing something, being noticeable you want to be noticed as a forward so the fact he's managed to kind of do that over a point per game in um in south one um and i think the, the other name i'd mention in there because i got the opportunity and he played again he did very very well at commentary um marco pascali yes fantastic very 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 it's very hard sometimes to get opportunities as a defenseman to kind of step up because it's easy it's much easier to make a mistake and it matter on D, so it's much easier some ways for a forward to be given an opportunity. Yeah, have a couple of shifts and just skate around and go hit. Whereas harder on D, because if you make if someone's charging, if you've got three forwards charging towards you and you blow your coverage, you're you're pinned to the bench for the rest of it. So yeah. for Marco to go, just looking at this, 23 points and 26 in South One from D, and he's just played in a in a national division playoff final as well. Uh, with all due respect to folks who like the Junior Raiders, neither of those two gentlemen should be touching the should be touching Southland next year. No, As I very much TJ doubt they will. They, I mean, over the course of the season, they had four fantastic games against Chelmsford, the the real Essex derby, as we like to call it. Mm. They uh, they finished finished two apiece for the four games, so there can't be any complaints there. Their uh, playoff quarter final with Slough was just unbelievable keeping tabs on this because of course it was happening around the end of um the end of our at the end of the national division season which I, mm. I i i focus very very heavily on and i'm sitting and because for for those who aren't aware um during bases at bison games it's me doing the match night tweeting so i'm sat there and things are kind of rolling through as i'm keeping tabs on what i'm trying to do and it's just like 
Who needs defending? <laughs> Romford and Slough have just decided to abandon defence. We're going to go back to the 80s and no one's going to stop anything. And it's just a case of who's going to score more goals and we'll forget about it. And everybody and their mother seem to get a shot on there over the course of those two uh, those two, uh, two things. But this is the th- same thing. And the same thing actually with the senior Raiders. They, they, built, they seem to build them different. They never Romford, say die, do they? Don't count them out. Don't count them out. And... Um, I mean, as well, like you look at some of these, some of the numbers, like the penalty kill numbers, not so good. Power play numbers are like running at twenty percent, just under a twenty percent power play is not terrible. Like no, Courtney Grant on the power play is just deadly. He picks up so many of his goals on the power play. I think was he so tw- ten goals on the on the season, of which yeah, four ten goals on the season, four on the power play. Six at, e- at six at even strength. So that's a pretty nice, tasty percentage of, of of the goals he's managed to score coming on a coming on a coming on the man advantage. There, not a guy I've had the opportunity to see, unfortunately. But this is this is the joy of doing some of these things, these things like this. Like I try, I'm, I'm, I've tried more over the last couple of years to try and have a broad focus and try and touch a little bit of everything. And that's what the what's current stream is for to look at the whole yeah. of the NHL. So getting the opportunity to kind of get some more context on some of these names for me is, is really good fun. It's going to make next year more interesting because I've got to focus more on some other stuff now. Yeah, I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll end up probably crossing over more next year because it's, um, I mean, Zero Pucks is actually going to expand slightly into covering the whole of the NIHL One South. The focus will always be Chelmsford because it's it's my team and it's who I, who I watch every week. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we will certainly be be talking to other coaches and other players and getting a, a more expansive view of the league. Mm. But yeah, yeah no, good season for the Raiders. The, as I say, we always love the Essex Derby. With players like Courtney Grant, uh, a lot of them, uh, say Courtney Grant, Elliot Dervish, they've been chieftains before, then they're Raiders. They all float up and down the A12. Um, so we've got Callum Burnett, Ollie Baldock and the likes at Chelmsford that have been at Raiders. So yeah, that they'll always float up and down the A12. It always keeps that interesting. Uh, so we will, we'll skip over fifth because that was chieftains. We'll do that at the end. Uh, fourth place was the Invicta Dynamos. They're a little raft of three teams here, including the Chieftains, on 29 points, all with 14 wins, 13 losses. Hmm. Um, well, uh, Slough and Invicta, rather, with the same 13 wins, 14 wins, 13 losses, one overtime loss. For Invicta, South Cup winners, uh, top point scorer, Yuri Hushk. Um, obviously, we'll discuss him shortly. They use their import system perfectly because... Hushkin and Laschek, 89 points between them. I mean, the... I remember Stanislav Laschek getting suspended for throwing his helmet at someone in a fight. So his my experience of Stan is always slightly tempered <laughs> by watching him play for Sheffield and watching, and watching him do that. Yes, uh, well, well done as well. I think he's calmed for... in his older years. Yes, well, well done for managing to mention the fact they won the cup and not doing it through gritted teeth. Well done. Nah. Um, the... <laughs> they deserved it. But yeah, the um, this certainly it's a bet. It's been a much better year for Invicta. I think the the change of ownership and Kev Parish stepping away from the bench into it into an ownership role, and that's a hard thing to do. That's a really hard thing to do. Kev was 
Um, Kev obviously coached the team for a really, really long time. And it's that it's that change in how you influence what's going on. And it's a, it's a discussion that we've had in Basin like quite a bit where we've had Ashley Tate as our coach. Ashley Tate is one of the best British players of his generation, you know, record cap holder at one point for Great, uh, for Great Britain. And he retires and goes to the bench. And that's a massive, massive change because how Tate influenced the game was always more in how he played, even though he was player coach. If he wanted to change something, he'd go out and he could do it. If he wanted to try and score, he could go out and score a goal. And suddenly he couldn't. And you think of Kev, who was on the bench for a very, very long time. Like he was co- he coached the Dynamos well before the EPL collapsed. And you had those EPL teams stepping into South 1 and playing in Victor and Chelmsford. And then he suddenly moves, you know, moves into, into, into being the owner. And it's, you know, obviously he's got quite a big amount of say as to what as to what happens there you know Carl Lennon's not an idiot he's not going to not listen to his boss but no his ability to even even in that point you're not on the bench anymore literally just watching like even even though you know even if Carl you know Carl's if Carl's on the bench and he's coaching he's still got an ability because it's like right we've got a power play with 93 seconds left I'm going to put out this guy this guy and this guy there's your impact if you're a coach and Kev's now had to remove himself from that and just sit there. And last year was really hard for Invicta. And it felt really bad in, the, in that sort of sense. Because I've got a lot of time for Invicta um, as, a, as a club. When when Bays and Stoke were playing them, we always had some really, really... There were a bit one-sided battles. But Dynamo's fans always gave as good as they got. And they were really kind of, you know, the very gracious fan base was how we always kind of encountered them in Bays and Stoke. Mm. But... Um, but yes, yeah, so to see them having had a, a bit of an iffy year and have a little bit of an upswing is just nice. It's also good for the division, I think. Absolutely, I think yeah. a strong, a strong, a strong Invicta, uh, you know, a strong Invicta and a strong Chelmsford. If nothing else, from that rivalry perspective, if that rivalry works, then that is good for the division as well because we can't just purely look at Streatham like tonking people every every five minutes. The league need the, the, for the league as a product. It needs to have it needs to have those things to get your teeth into, which is a bit of a classic old fashioned southeast rivalry. Yeah. And having admittedly, in Victor and Chelsea played each other like eighty five times this year, and that's probably a little <laughs> yeah, eighty five, eighty six, something like that. <laughs> yeah, but um, but having the ability, but having a a rivalry that was done in the right way and done in that right spirit, like having a cup final, um, you know, having a cup final will do that, and the playoffs will kind of do that, where the guys have you know. Played, played hard, but played the right way, and then you kind of move on. That's what you want. You want, you don't want, you don't want stupid rivalries where everybody's like, like having a line brawl every five minutes. That's nice once in a while, and there are definitely situations where a line brawl makes sense. Yeah, but but you don't want it. You don't want it all the time. And Invicta no. have, have been great. Have been have been pretty good value for money all in all this year. They have, and from what I've spoken to some of their players, um, I selected Harrison Lillis in my All Star team. Just mm. because I think the amount of Invicta that we've seen, I've got, I had a bit of stick for it from some of the Chieftains lads, actually. But the amount we've seen Invicta this year, and they have had our number this season. There's no mm. argument about that. I think it's ten, 10 games. They've won eight. We've drawn one, and we took one. And he's just so hard to get round. And they've had such a good season that they deserved a player in, in an all-star team for me. It's the first time I've done one. Um, and I don't know a lot of these lads personally, so it was. Mm. I, I thought it was thoroughly well deserved. But Carl Lennon seems to have created an atmosphere down there. Of it's like a they sort of see him as a life coach. 
and he's he's brought brought a sort of an element to the team where they are all working so hard for each other that similar as we said to Oxford, they become more than the sum of their parts, but their parts are very good. Mm. So Richard Harris and you know, Yuri Hushka, who unfortunately we won't be seeing any more of. Um, but of the times I've spoken with Carl Lennon, I'm a little bit in love with Carl Lennon. I've got, I can't lie. They're a, you know, they, I mean, I'm still just amazed by the fact that Aaron Strawson's still tottering about dresses <laughs> art. I remember him, remember him on the Isle of Wight. <laughs> but um, there's, I mean, there's some really, really, I mean, getting Owen Dell back as well, when you think of what of the level yeah. he's been playing at as well, massive addition towards the back end of the year. I mean, talk about getting a ringer in for the cup final there, fellas. Well done. Yeah, it um, is fantastic. But also, also as well, I mean, there's that there's that, that element on the back end as well. And people will people will rightly um, sing the praises of Tyler Della Batusha, especially even though it didn't quite work out at the end of the season in terms of Peterborough and the playoffs and things like that. But 17 years old and thrown very, very much into the fire. But fair play to Owen Ryder, who very, very easily, with, there's, there's a lot of talk about Tyler, and justifiably so, because between Tyler and Luca to Sadri, they're going to be the few, they are the immediate kind of future of British net minding mm-hmm. um, in terms of things. But Owen has, I mean, his, his numbers are 100% not well not well beating 889 uh, 88.9 save percentage 4.7 4.7 goals against is not well beating numbers but he's put him you know he's put bits and pieces on his back and he, and where Tyler's been in and out and bouncing around for Peterborough Owen's carried the team and it's been Owen's net and it has been yeah where, and even to the point where maybe and you know obviously Tyler's availability's not been not been as great as it as it maybe could have been for uh, for Invicta, but you know he he could have very easily in that situation, knowing there's that kind of spectre kind of like lurking over his shoulder a little bit, so that that crumples some goalies. Or they go right, you're going to be in and out my net. You want to come and take my net? You come take my net. And team goal team goalie goalies all lo- goalies all love each other and they all want to succeed and they all want each other to do well. But fair play to fair play to Owen for really just kind of, you know, I mean you can't argue with the fact that there are only in South One there are only three trophies of which he's the netminder that's won one. So fair play to him for fair yeah. play to him for that. And uh, shout out Harvey Harvey Brighton as well. I know he didn't actually appear in that many games this year, but there's been three goalies in Invicta, so. He yeah. got a medal too. <laughs> yeah, I, I have got Owen Ryder written down because you said his numbers, I think, are actually quite contradictory to his performance. I think the goals he's conceded, you wouldn't expect many netminders to be able to do anything about. Mm. Um, but it's the it's the performances that he's been pulling off, particularly in, I mean, the final sort of series against Chelmsford, the cup final, and then the playoffs. He he was he just he was doing them things. Lies, damn lies, and statistics, everybody. That's the <laughs> lesson here. But now another fantastic year for Invicta. Um, I expect them again to be up there and competitive next year. Um, but they will be doing it without Yuri Hushka. Um, mm. I personally feel it was harsh. Although I was there, I didn't actually see what happened. So I can't comment on, on what actually happened. I just saw the aftermath. But I haven't spoken to Joe and Chris who were commentating. They sort of have seen video. Yeah, I think it was harsh. It's clearly a frustration rather than a permanent, like a purposeful attempt to injure someone. Mm. I think there has to be, there is a real issue. And this is where the real issue with the, the tariff system with the IHA discipline really, really comes out is that there is no, um, there, there is no leeway for intent. 
and that's a real that's actually a real problem here and it's one of the the flip side of it is this is one of the problems where the, where elite league the elite league department of player safety really really struggles mm. because their the principle of how the of how elite league dops works is actually brilliant because it mirrors a lot of what other european leagues do but the um but what the elite leagues really really get with sometimes is just massively massively undercutting the idea of it like oh it's an elbow to the head. It's one game. Well, you can really clearly see there that right at the last minute, he stuck his elbow out and caught the guy in the head. It's not an accident. He's elbowed a guy in the head, and you've not taken intent into account here in the wrong, in the in the complete opposite way to what the EIHA system does, which just doesn't even look at intent at all. Um, and like, I think the other thing here is, and some people might think, oh, you know, they're just trying to sort of excuse this, but like, Pushka should definitely get a ban for this. Like yeah. his stick is his responsibility, and however frustrated he is, his stick, like fall, throwing out of your hands, fair enough. You might have got, you probably would have got a misconduct off the ref anyway, because like you're just being an, an idiot. But if your stick leaves the ice, clears the board, and catches someone in their head, like mate, you definitely need to be sitting down for at least like twenty games for this. Yeah. But a two-season ban is massively disproportionate, especially when I think of. I think of Derek Campbell in the Elite League being banned for 47, I think it was 47 games, because he fought a guy off the ice, in the, he fought another player off the ice in the crowd at Hull, right? <laughs> Where is the proportionate nature of them banning a guy for two seasons there? And the frustrating bit about it is that the, actually, if to the to the IHA's credit, the statement announcing why they'd made their decision was actually much better than some of their ones have been across this year, um, having moaned at them quite a bit to do more of it. But um, but yeah, it just it just kind of feels like they've handcuffed themselves to a a setting here where actually they just need to kind of just take a bit more of a nuanced look at this where and they've got the ability to do so. It's not like Invicta were playing the next day because they lost. Yeah. And it's not like anybody's going to be playing until September because the season's done. So launching out and saying it's a two season ban when also you think of that. Some of those some of those Blackburn players were banned off the back of their ruckus they had in Nottingham. And a couple of those guys were meant to be banned for two years. Well, those got chopped down pretty sharpish. So obviously in Victor and actually, again, credit to the Dynamos for doing this because their statements dealing with this have been really, really good. And yeah, their statements have been good. Teams how to do their PR. But um, the... I think I'm really uh, like I say. I I venture this gets dropped down, and it should be dropped down. He 100% should not be starting next year if he wanted to start next year. He really should be sitting at least like 15, 20 games for this. He's injured a kid. Like he's thrown his stick over the boards in frustration and hurt a child. Like you definitely need to sit on the naughty step here. But two seasons is just it's just balmy. There's no need for it at all. No, no. So and I, I'd heard that he possibly was retiring that weekend and that's why they've gone so harsh because he had no intent of coming back anyway. So they've made an example, but I mean, the amount of time that guy spends on the ice for Invictor, I can't see him wanting to retire. He, he was playing nearly 45 minutes a game. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Like the body gets a little bit older each year, gets a little bit, it can still be fun, but each year kind of gets a little, gets a little bit more, um, Everything gets sometimes can get a little bit more sore. It is frust- it is really sad though because if that was the last hurrah, you think of all those Solon guys who signed off at the end of that, mm. the end of that final game. You think of Tommy Annette signing off at the end of, uh, of that game as well. And like Euro Hushka has been a very very good servant to British hockey. It should be said. 
Yes. And actually, he deserves he deserves the ability to kind of have a goodbye. He has sort of sabotaged himself slightly. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully, though, hopefully some common sense kind of reigns in here. And he they, they bring the suspension down, even if it's just a case of you stick him out for a shift at the end of the game to let him just say farewell and do it that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, not not the way you want to see a guy ending his um, potentially ending his career. No, well, I mean, after he thought, I would imagine he thought he'd put in Victor into the playoff final this year, scoring the third goal with what, a minute and 40 mm-hmm. seconds to go and then to see what what happened after, which mirrored virtually the Chelmsford Bristol semi-final from the previous year, um, discussed with Joe Scutts that perhaps that second semi-final is cursed in some way. Yeah, yes. the, uh, it does feel it, doesn't it? Yeah, it was quite incredible to, to witness. what, But you could actually see it coming. Mm. As, as soon as that third goal went in, Alex Murray called his timeout and, and Paul Chico Cole put six forwards out there. It was you just you could see it coming. So it was um, yeah, astonishing stuff. But yeah, a great season for Invicta with the Cup, um, making the playoff semi-finals as well uh, and finishing fourth in the league. I, th- I think they'll be happy over the total with their season and look forward to the next one. So up into third then, again on 29 points, 14 wins, 13 losses and one overtime loss is the Slough Jets, as you rightly said earlier, one of only two teams not to top 100 goals yeah. in, in this season. Their top point scorers were joined from what I found of Lewis English and Jacob White say, but with only 19 each, but there's an incredible spread across the roster of people getting points. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I'm just skipping my way down. Even Brett Shepard got a couple of points. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The only keeper to do so, unfortunately, unfortunately by the, uh, by the look of it. So no, uh, no, no Ron Hextall award for, for most points by a goalie for him this year. But, I tell you what, and it's one of those it's one of those things that I got into a little bit of a habit of doing was was watching Slough Jets highlights because the Jets put together like a relatively decent highlights package anyway. Do, but yes, like, the Jets look fun. Like it's a bunch of kids running around. And sometimes that works sometimes that's not good hockey because it's like puppy dogs just like you know, it's like kids playing football in the playground yeah, in year three. Following but, the ball. Yeah. But actually they've got um, yeah, I think probably the criticism of them this year from having spoken to people who've watched the league a bit more was they're a little bit overly physical at times and they kind of sort of lost their tempers a little bit when they didn't necessarily need to. But the stuff I've watched, and obviously the highlights are 100% edited to make them look good. But you know yes. what? They look good. They look yeah. they look, so, they look like a really fun team to watch. So they should be. If you're editing your own highlights together, you want to make it look good. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make us look terrible. We've lost yeah. 25 nil. Um, Certainly one of the certainly one of the, the names I will mention a couple of names that I'll mention on here because I, I'm going to cheat. Um Roman Cathcart and Ollie Hemmings Mayer, who've split time between the Jets and the Bison this year. These two have been fun. Cathcart in particular has been one of my favorite was one of my favorite things to watch this year because of co- as Hemmings Mayer got more shifts in Basingstoke because Ollie's got quite a natural scoring touch. And yeah. He there were opportun- he got opportunities when guys were injured and guys were hurt to kind of go out and play in a more well you're more of a goal scorer Ollie go out and try and score a goal and then as soon as Roman Cathcart would touch the ice it's like right <laughs> someone's getting run <laughs> and it was just and it's and seeing somebody and there were times this year where the Bison were not very good at all so to see two 16 year olds charging around the ice with not a care in the world um, was really really good fun so to what be able to watch them 
do it on the highlights. And if they're back in Slough next year, I 100% want to make a point of going and watching the Jets next year because the ability for Roman and Ollie to be much more impactful at that level is going to be, you know, it's going to be quite high. So I want to see what those two lads are able to do where they are second, you know, second line minutes rather than sort of like once in a blue moon on the uh, on the ice. Yeah. Um, so they that would be a lot of fun. And also have to mention Connor Redmond because he's he's the nephew of a legend. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had I had Jacob White say actually also in my uh, all star team of the year. I think he's a fantastic young player. He's just been away with the GB eighteens in mm. Serbia. Um I think he was an assistant captain actually out there as well, or, or if not the captain. I believe he was I believe he was captain. And the mm. Moore brothers as well. I know um I know Sebastian spent much more time with Slough, but Christian did some really, really good things as well with Bristol yeah. um, uh, this year. I know there was there was reportedly some very serious discussions about trying to get Christian to go join the Pitbulls full time that never quite never quite came off. But um, you think as well, guys like uh, you know Luke's, uh, Luke Smith. All I mean, talk about coming from pedigree. Like Absolutely, that, yeah. kid, that kid looks like he'll be very, very good in the not too distant future. Yeah, I mean, what, what Lucas has managed to do down there is put a team together of, obviously, as real young, energetic players, mm. but they do play with structure. They've got systems that they do stick to, and it has been their physicality that's been their downfall recently, uh, well, uh, in some of their defeats for the season, because they've they've tried to be physical with teams that are just better at it, and then they've ended up losing their rag. Yeah. Um, particularly with Chelmsford, actually, over the course of the season. I think they beat us once from four, but the other three times when we beat them relatively comfortably, I think Ty Cathcart got his nose smashed all over his face by Grant Bartlett in uh, yeah. at least one one game in Slough. I think the game in Chelmsford, they waited, I think it was 12 seconds from the start of the game before they went into it again. So, yeah, definitely what was their downfall. But if they want to play like that, I think a lot of teams will welcome that, but they just need to be better at keeping their heads. Yeah. Controlled aggression is a, is a very, very big thing. I think the, but the, the other thing as well is that it, particularly if Slough keep this, this group together, or at least a good core of the group together, they become a much more interesting prospect if they are going to be that physical. Because even, mm. even if you think of, think of a team like Streatham, who were much more better behaved this year, at times, yes. and I think it's because nobody wanted to get themselves suspended too quickly. Hi, Ryan. Um, but but even you know, like Brandon Miles hasn't fought as much this year. Ryan Watt didn't fight as much this year. Yeah. I have and, a theory. I have a theory on why oh, Brandon Miles has not fought that much this year. Oh, I venture. To be fair, I venture a lot of them will have been would have been told by Ben Payne to be on their best behaviour because they did, nobody wanted to jeopardise that game against um, against Solway. But mm. um, I think he's had new teeth. Oh, you reckon that's it? <laughs> it's just trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to protect the the important dental work. Well, he should yeah. do what Cowley doesn't wear wear a cage then. Um, <laughs> but the thing with Slough is that actually, if you like, you say that they're they're the young pups learning. Like, if you're gonna go and try and have a fight with one of the Bartlett boys, like you're gonna, it's not a loss if you learn, kind of. Yeah. Thing. And actually, learning how you're know, getting some of those rough, you know, getting some of those bits of frustration out of their system. And learning how to be more controlled with it, and kind of a bit like Tampa Bay did the other night to the to the Leafs. If you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a scrap, have a strategic scrap, and take out some of those guys who are gonna cause you a bit of da- a bit of damage because you you know like a couple of like with all the will in the world, Ty Cathcart, Grant Bartlett, one of these guys is of a much higher value to his team than 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 the other is there, and yeah. so it's not the worst thing in the world, albeit. 
having a scrap with either part that boy's probably not high on your list of smart things to do. No, so even with my background, Julian Smith. It's like no, what are you no, doing? Even with my background in boxing, I don't think I'd fancy a go at either one of those boys. <laughs> the only other thing I mentioned was Slough. Yeah. Um, and is, but having having looked at having looked at it, both Brett Shepherd and Brett Massey, both over ninety say over ninety say percentage, and both under three GAA. It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty solid foundation to build on from the back if you can if you can work it out. I think in, in most of their games this season, they were clinical front and back. Like So they didn't score many goals, but they didn't concede many either. The wins they got were, were tight. They they got a couple of shutouts as well. I think um, Brett Shepard got himself a couple of shutouts. So that was, um, yeah, a good season from Slough. And I think, yeah, if, as you said, if you've got Streatham still up there with that team, then players, as you mm. said, not as many penalty points this year, but certainly still just bullying teams. Mm. In a, in the in a fairest way possible, but yeah. if Slough progressing and Victor progressing, we're going to move on to Chelmsford now. Coming back next year, it's just going to make it more competitive. Yeah, it's going to make it. And like I say, if you do potentially have a team step up from from South to into that into that mix as well, um, not only do you have like a really really highly competitive division, but then some new blood into it as well. And those people yeah. who are think those people who maybe were sitting on the fence a little bit, oh not seen this team play before let's maybe go have a look at what was that oh that game i remember we played them well, i was at that game we played them last year and that was pretty decent it should be you know and it only it starts to build and build and like south one has its place within the structure right it's not it's not meant to be the top league but what south one can do if it can develop a core of teams and, it, and obviously someone has to finish first and someone has to finish last that's sport right but if you can have a league of if you can have a league of eight teams and theoretically you can have a night where if we if we're honest with ourselves this season teams one to six probably had a chance of a puncher's chance of beating the other team right yeah. And with all due respect to with all due respect to Oxford and to MK, there was a hunt. There was nights where you could put either of those two teams on the ice, and you think they're not winning this, right? Um, even by the out by an outliers worth of margins. But Oxford, if they can, you know, Oxford can get better, and they've had a, they've had an okay year, and they can develop, and they'll come on, and maybe something magic happens at Milton Keynes, and they stay, and they get better. But if you can get to a point where any team can be any other. On a given night, which was for me the strength of the national division this year, was I don't think there was a more competitive league in British ice hockey than the national division. No, I if can, South I can one, agree. If South One can get to that point, then I think it really, really works because South One should be a real, you know, without wanting to hang official labels on it. South One has the real opportunity to be a very, very good development league. And you can have those older guys who don't want to commit as much come down and teach the youngsters, and you can have your 16 17 18 19 20 21 year olds just running the show and then when they're ready to move on they can move on and if they don't want to move on they can stay and do it that way but this league's got so much potential in it it's 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 fascinating to see how how the teams are going to progress on from here yeah so we'll we'll move to, to fifth place then and to the champs for chieftains again 29 points never <laughs> heard of them one of ice hockey's staples, UK ice hockey staple teams, Chelsea Chieftains, 29 points, 12 wins, 11 defeats, five overtime losses, which was the reason they finished fifth for me out of that. I was going to say, that feels a lot. That feels it was like a lot. lot. 
yeah, we won in overtime once all season, and I think that was at Oxford uh, in I think it was January, I believe. Mm. But yeah, the the five overtime defeats were obviously you get the one point from that, but if you take five mm. extra points, yeah, and put that on there, it changes things quite drastically. Mm. But yeah, I top think... point scorer was was Grant Bartlett. 105 points between the Bartlett brothers uh, in an up and down season is is quite some going, including uh, a game at Milton Keynes, which I discussed with Joe Scutts. The two of them scored 18 points between them in one game. Not that they're padding the stats here. No. <laughs> one of the really telling things here, and if, you, if folks want to look through NHL stats here, one of the big things I think is a really, really telling stat here for Chelsea this year. Aside from the fact that they do not have the spread of points around that some of the other teams have here, they averaged 37 shots taken a game and averaged nearly 49 shots against yeah. a game. That is That does not make for a good way of trying to play your hockey games. And I, I appreciate if you've got one of the best, pros, best net mining prospects in the country in net, you probably feel very, very confident. And shot counts do not always tell the story. But where your shot where your shot count balance on average is twelve facing twelve more shots than you take, that is something that is something that your new head coach at the Riverside is going to need to address. And knowing Cliff, he's going to address it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, if I had to sort of look back now and look at a lot of the goals we conceded, a lot of them were on the breakaway. We conceded mm. too many shorthanded goals this year, mm. um, and we'd get caught with maybe three, four in well, three in the offensive zone, one in the neutral, one in the D, and we'd get broke on three on two, sometimes two on one, sometimes three on one. Uh, and particularly in Victor, we played quite a lot. We're very adept at coming forward with more than one forward and moving the puck quickly. Well I think like I say, you look at some of the look at some of these numbers here and you just look purely at your goal scorers. The Bartlett score, you know, score silly amounts of goals because that's what they do and you look at your next load of top point scorers James Pentecost was your third highest point scorer only scored seven goals mm-hmm. Ollie Bulldog scored 14 goals so that puts him 12 behind uh, behind Cam Bartlett TJ Fillery got 10 and after that everybody else is in single digits single digits worth of goals three for Matt Turner four from Callum Burnett two for Dan Hitchings three for George uh, um Ethan Reed, who I know is very, very highly thought of on the on the back end, seven points from eighteen is not a bad return, not a bad return for a D man. But if you're wanting guys to, if you're the big issue here for Chelmsford this year has really just been you're almost a little bit of a one line team. Um, yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, what a line! Like if you're gonna have if you're gonna have two if you're gonna have two brothers play together and score just like a metric buttload of points then knock yourselves out but you've got to then be able to shut up shop at the back and Chelmsford haven't done it <laughs> no <laughs> like, and it, it, I think it coincided with, with Neil Lydiard leaving was was when we started to look a bit shaky like, sorry, at the back yeah. turned up and instantly became our best defenseman in basing Stoke <laughs> yeah he, um, he couldn't turn that down when, when it was offered so no one blamed him for taking it but it's his his experience and some what the lads would tell me about Lids that he just he loved taking pucks. Didn't care yep. where or how hard. Or... Yeah, he's t- he's Drake because I, I was very fortunate enough to actually be sat on sat next to uh, Neil Lydiard at the uh, the Bison end of season uh, awards dinner last Friday night, and his his uh, his quip to me was that he was just too slow to get out of the way. 
And uh, to which my response was, nobody, no, (laughs) you lie. You're very actively getting in the way now, Lids, and you have done for quite a while. But, um, uh, and he wants to keep going. So uh, whether we see, where we see him play next year, I don't know, but it looks like we'll get at least another, you know, he's he's had his Ric Flair moment and retired and then played in South and then come back to the national division anyway. But yeah, I think, like I say, there's a real, there's a real issue here, I think for, you know, and like Callum Burnett and Dan Hitchens getting 10 points off the each off the back end. It's not bad. 28 game yeah. season, 10 points apiece. That's Callum, good. Callum Burnett missed a good portion of the season as well with injury. But, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a really big believer in, I'd like my defenders to defend. Mm. Um, like it's a bit of a cheesy, a bit of a cheap example, but Ben O'Connor is a defenseman. And one thing Ben O'Connor's really, really good at is putting up points from the back end. I much prefer Ben O'Connor to score 10 less points a season, but give up less goals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> having watched Ben O'Connor for quite a while now, but yeah, I think it, I'm like, obviously the net minding core and, you know, sorry to Sonny Phillips in, uh, in all this, cause he was kind of the odd man out in that, uh, in that dance, but the, you know, both net, but both Petr Cech and, and Luka Tassadri finished with a, with over 90% saves. That's great. But Luka's goals against is over four. Which tells you, which to have that save percentage and that goals against tells you that somebody needs to put something in front of that young man. Yeah, to help him, they're taking too many shots. <laughs> yes. Uh, what's he faced there? He's faced 736 shots in 27 games. So that is a uh, that is a lot. Um, that, is a lot. <laughs> that, that is a lot. And Luca, aside from as we've seen, as you as regular listeners to this show will know, very polite young man. He's very very good at what he does. Get him some D, Cliff, please. Yeah. Help the kid. I say, we're not we're not a hundred percent sure whether he's actually coming back. I know he's got university options possibly for for next year. Um, so it's uh, it's something I haven't I, not discussed with him on the podcast because he just doesn't know. So it's um, yeah, something <laughs> we're looking forward to. He's he, like you said, he's such a good young lad. He's he won our awards this year. He won the Players Player, and he won the MVP for the season. So he's 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 well aware of how highly he's thought of in Chelmsford um, by the by his peers as well as the fans, and uh, yeah, we would love to see him back. Um, as as for our other netminder, uh, he he wasn't there at the presentation awards. We don't know if that is the last we're going to see of him or not. His new pad set may suggest he's coming back. I mean, with all due respect, with all due respect to Petr Cech, given his given his weak work, given what he yeah. does during the week, he's kind of excused from not being a. From not turning up to, to everything as much as he uh, as he possibly no. could. Well, he was in Belfast in the week, so I don't he know was in Belfast during the week. And fair and fair play to him for uh, fair play to him for the, uh, for for joining in with that one. The the the, uh, the very amusing photograph of him next to uh, Giants perennial third netminder Andrew uh, Andrew Dicko Dixon was uh, was quite a um, was quite a sight because obviously Petter is very very highly thought of in in a variety of circles, but there are very few there are fewer popular men in, in Belfast ice hockey than Andrew Dixon, so it's uh, it just a uh, brought a wry smile to my to my face of who who's the bigger legend in Belfast in that photograph, <laughs> given the amount of Arsenal and Chelsea fans that reside in the in the province. Yes, I would imagine so. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think Czech had a, had a good season when he played. It became unfortunate with obviously the the imports on the ice rule, which is changing for next season. Obviously, the import mm. goalies is is coming in, but we couldn't see as much of Sasha Maltsev as we would have liked. A young lad that we've had from Ukraine who's now living and learning over here mm. and will be with the Chieftains for long term, hopefully, because towards the end of the season where we were having 
having suspension issues at the Chieftains, uh, Cam Bartlett. Like I said, we don't know what's happening with the Bartlett's yet, but I can't imagine Cam Bartlett wants to go out on a seven-game ban. No, uh, probably not. So the fact that we were down them attackers meant that Maltsev had to play, mm. um, getting Lucas Sardri in nets and check riding the pine. But in four games, I think it was at the end of the season, Sasha Maltsev went from fourth, third line every now and again to first line. Mm. Uh, just incredible hands. His dad sends me videos of him ruining people in the in the Ukrainian under 18s league at 13. Yeah, I mean the because the rules that have kind of stuff that's kind of been announced, and I know Joe obviously mentioned about it. And there's there's been some changes that are very national division focused, and some that are kind of for for everybody. The mm. propensity for um for for a young lad like uh, like Maltsev to to kind of come on as a result. Um, because he's a he's an Im, he's an import in the loosest of possible senses. Because like being an import in a, in a hockey league should be as a result of choice, not because somebody decided to invade your country. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but um, he's um, he's got an opportunity now. Like if the if they're fully gonna have these import rules across the across the entire across the entire NHL structure, then more power to lad for taking for taking that opportunity. Let's see what he can do. And as you say, you know, Chelmsford base now. There's no reason not to give him the time if he wants to hang around and he wants to make if he wants to kind of really put himself in the shop window here. I mean, it's worked for Vlad's Volkanovs, who's now on the. If you think of Vlad's Volkanovs a couple of years ago, who went from coming over here and went from uni hockey to Div Two to Div One to National year after year after year. Next year will be the first. Will be the first year he's stuck with the team in Britain for more than a year. Wow. Because like. And Volkanovs is a very, very talented young man. And I'm not saying, and I'm not saying Chieftains fans, that we want Maltsev to immediately disappear from Essex. However, um, if he's got the ability and he can shut and he can really shut next year, and if we're going to welcome folk into our country and we're going to make spots for imports and we're going to make spots for people who have uh, who necessitate having to be in Britain for uh, you know for reasons of their house being flatter than an A4 sheet of paper. Then let's get him in. Let's get him playing. I think it's probably the best way to the school. Absolutely, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. So we're now we're all looking forward to what Lewis Clifford's going to do for for next year. Obviously, young players coming in. He did mention I spoke with him as well in Milton Keynes mm. about using the sort of extensive academy setup that we've got at Chelmsford. The, the academy at Chelmsford is absolutely flying. Mm. Um, so that that can only be a good thing for Lewis to have in his back pocket. Uh, he, does, he did mention to me he wants to play hard and fast, so the lads should be in the gym over the summer. Yep, and that's um, very much like that's very much uh, that was very much Cliff's mo when he when he managed when he coached the Lightning as well. Um, always a physical side. I mean, it kind of was kind of built out of the core that MK had. That's obviously starting to whittle away now. Like um, Luke, uh, Lee Jameson's obviously retired now, which is a very surreal thought. For someone who's been, who's been, uh, I feel very old now um, as a result. But some of those, some of those guys that he was around and he sort of played with your Grant McPherson, your Grant McPherson's, your Ross Greens, your your Lee, uh, your Lee Jamesons. Like if that, you know, when he says that, he means that. Be prepared, be prepared for, be prepared for a chieftain style that might have been a little bit hard, a little bit more rough around, rougher around the edges than last year. Mm. Yeah, so we and we don't know really who who will be coming back from from the current roster. Um, we know most of the fans would like most of them to come back because I think Mark Saunders put together a pretty good roster at the start of the year. It just it took to even after he was let go for it to click, and now it seems to have finally started to click. 
Yeah. Although, like I say, I think that the big issue there that is it clearly, clearly there's some defensive in, uh, uh, defensive inequities there that need addressing for Chelmsford. Mm. And I think the problem that you guys are going to have, and um, if only, if only, if only there are a team with a bunch, the team that stopped playing with a bunch of young defensemen that you could go out and ask as to whether they fancy playing South One for a year. Um, but. I the, think we're um, going to be a little bit down the pecking order of uh, of getting those those gentlemen. You never you never know unless you ask. But and also the other thing as well is that you know rumours about Alex White aside, because let's just go straight towards that hall. That Probably the worst kept secret, isn't it? Yeah. I think. But the other thing as well is that people are going to want to play for Cliff. Like he's not a bad coach. Like him. Um, I was there at the at the playoff final in 2022 when he was coaching the Lightning, and he was just getting absolutely rinsed because he had Tim Wallace sat at the end of the bench and um, everybody was just like, we all know where this is going next year. Enjoy your last game in charge kind of thing. But um, he's not a bad coach. He's got some, he's got some savvy tactical ideas. He's got a style. And if he can get the guys to buy into it, it's going to be effective, especially in a league like South one where your best team, have played a very, very solid structural game for quite some time. And admittedly, for Streatham, that was their downfall, was because they were almost too structured and didn't have the were not didn't think creatively enough against Solway to beat them. But if you if you think about what Streatham have done in this league and how they've done it, and you go back to what Joe Scott said about doing the same thing very effectively with slight tweaks and vari- with slight tweaks and variations. Well, if Chelmsford have get, you know, with all, you know, Ben Painter's still a very, very new coach. Chelmsford have now got arguably the most experienced coach in the division behind, like, Simon Anderson's been doing it for quite a while. So, but Cliff has coached at a higher level than Simon has. Yeah. So to be able to add that into the Chieftains as, a, as an organisation is massive. If Cliff gets buy-in, do not be surprised to see Chelmsford doing, uh, to be finishing above fifth place. I'm not going to say they're going to challenge Streatham. Because I spoke to Ben Painter after after that national one final, which I was fortunate enough to be able to commentate on. And I meant what I said. I've said it on social media a bit. He was very upset and he was not a happy boy. But behind those eyes, the gears were turning in Ben Painter's head. That yeah. man has a plan and they are going to be laser focused, especially where you think about the huge cock up as an organization they made where they burned off the cup by mistake because, you know, counting is not a thing apparently no but um but like chelmsford have got like you said they've got a really good academy set up behind them um they've got the ability for a bit of a fresh some fresh ideas coming in where last season as, as i think as chieftains fans will admit mark put together a good side the pieces didn't fit the picture of the jigsaw a little bit and they picked up a little bit at the end which is great but the you know, there's a real chance here for for Chelmsford. It doesn't feel like they're hitting the reset button like Invicta did. Like Invicta no. hit the reset button and had to go down to come up. Chelmsford feel like they're kind of on a point here where they're hitting the. They're, it's not so much hitting the reset button. You're just turning the tape over and then pressing play and then pushing on to the next to the next bit of it. Admittedly, if you lose the Bartlett boys, who knows? <laughs> it might just all yeah. be That's but, a lot of points to try and replace, isn't it? So. Yeah, but there's. I think I think Chelsea fans should be. I, I, it's afraid. You know, cautious optimism. I think is probably what I'd say. See your roster first. Don't get ahead of yourselves. But um, 
like there's some real there's some real ability there and even if you do even if you do lose guys like you know if luca does i don't know luca goes to university in sheffield for example like all right that'll scuppy a bit but there'll be a keeper somewhere who wants to play for cliff yeah. and there'll be defensemen who want to play for him and there'll be guys wanting an opportunity wanting an opportunity and new coach new place they'll come like There'll be guys who will stay out, of course, but like I said, if I'm a, if I'm a Chieftains fan, I've got a little rubbing my hands together a little bit. I'd be, I'd be excited for the, for this new season if I was a um, if I was a Chelsea fan. It's all well and good being a, a Streatham fan. Only way is down when you've won everything a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, cautious optimism, I think, is definitely the um, the line that we're going for. So that's it. We've wrapped up then uh, Division One. I've just got a few, a few things to ask about what you normally do, Anthony. You've hmm. been uh, incredibly gracious, giving me a lot of shout outs on your streams recently because uh, Com- I do I do join in watching comments. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's collaboration, not competition. I've been doing this like now for twelve for twelve years, and that was going to be my next point. Congratulations, twelve years of banners on the wall. Thank you. I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> for people who aren't familiar, because I, I appreciate I'm not uh, what I do is not mass as known as kind of in, in Chelmsford. Banners on the Wall was all born out of the fact that I started doing the match night updates for the Bison because I used to just like do it on my own Twitter. And it was just I was, you know, I was a much younger man now than I am now. And I was uh, I was just sarcastic to the point of to the point of wanting to punch myself in the face at, at times. But when the club asked me to do stuff for them i was like i need an outlet and i've written my entire life like the whole writing about the whole the hockey is the newer aspect of this i've written since i was a small child and i'm now nearly i'm now you know i'm 38 nearly 39 so writing is the passion and hockey is the prison that i do that through so the um um but so the the ability to the ability to have the opportunity to do some of the weird stuff that i've been able to do including the one game i have dj'd which was a Chelmsford Chieftains game. Oh, should really? Be said. If you dig back through the annals of, of Banners on the Wall, it's pre, well pre-pandemic, but uh, I, I the only game I've ever DJed was an NIHL 2 South game between the Basins like Buffalo and the Chelmsford Chieftains. Uh, both Bartlett boys, I think, scored at least three goals each on that one. I think it finished 12-2 to Chelmsford. Um, but I have managed to trip and fall and open my big mouth and got a lot of opportunities because I've been stupid enough to say, I'll have a go. And I keep seeing, and people seem to keep letting me have a go at things. I, I'm the literal definition of hard work and perseverance, sometimes over over raw ability. Because the great thing about writing is nobody is a natural writer. You have to work at it. You have to write, and you have to write when it's awkward, and you have to write when it's when you're ill, and you have to write when you don't feel like writing. And I've been really, really fortunate that people have given credence to what I say, and that I've not sort of been drummed out for being too outspoken or on because i'm very outspoken on certain issues and i've made um uh, but the useful thing about the longevity aspect is that people have realized i don't say things for the sake of saying them and a really good example is i don't like the people fans much don't like watching them play it's not a style of hockey i enjoy i dislike watching them i don't find them very entertaining and i watch hockey to be entertained i've been really fortunate in the sense that after a while I've been able to have conversations with members of the Phantoms who realise that it's not a I hate you all and everything is terrible. It's a stylistic difference of opinion and it's fine. And the other thing as well was I was like, and it was um, January of 2022 when Will Weldon was announced, who's the captain of the Peterborough, and he was announced having his testimonial. And like, 
I made a point of just sort of going, you know, you know what, whatever you think of Peterborough, credit to the man for sticking it out for 10 years with one club when he could have quite easily gone on and done other things or not bothered or not phoned it in. And like, Will Weldon is a rat, but he's a good rat. And Will, and Will said to me, you've interviewed, you've interviewed a bunch of people. Let's do it. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's actually do it. And the two of us just ran straight towards the elephant in the room, which is just like, I think he says something along the lines of like, I've had so much fun reading your reports after we've beaten Basingstoke. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> and I hate watching you play still. And the uh, and that's the best thing about sometimes about British hockey is that actually we're not here to like the competition is the on ice bit. We're here to watch a game and the game has a winner and a loser. And that's cool. And off the ice, actually, 99 percent of people want the same thing, which is we want this sport to be as good as it can be in as good a position as it can be and to push on and do as, as do as many good things as possible, whatever the, and for me, that's whatever the level. Yeah. I don't, I'm not fussed too much about, um, and it's not to say like, I'm not one of these people who thinks the elite league is the worst is, is like the horrible, the big bad lurking in the corner, right? The elite league is the top level of British hockey. Can't sidestep that most money in it. The best, best standard of play. But, I think the idea the idea for me is that there is as much value in Nottingham versus Sheffield on Boxing Day in front of 8,000 people as there is in Lee Valley playing Solent Junior Devils in front of 25. Because that the sport is the sport, and the sport yeah. is fun. That's my big thing about this. And this is the thing that with my writing that I want to show people, is that I, want to, I try to treat everything as important as everything else, right? And the because if you're putting on... If you're doing something I can't do, you're putting the gear on, you're putting the skates on, and I don't care if the level that you play of it. It could be Canada, USA. I watched South Africa versus Luxembourg yesterday. And you know what? They all skate better than I do. Every last one of them. <laughs> and it's still of the same it's still of the same value and it's still as fun to me. So twelve years on, the fact I can still maintain that just like being able to watch and just like this is great is huge, huge for me. Yeah. And it's, I take it technology's probably had a, a big say in how you progressed it. Because you're obviously now doing the with the What's Current stream. Um, yeah, yeah. The What's Current was born out of, because I used to, there was a podcast for a while. Mm. And after my son was born, I just, the ability, the amount of stuff I needed to do in terms of prep and editing was just, it was just becoming too much. And I was feeling, um, I was feeling overwhelmed by, by the project as a, but as a whole and I felt that my writing was starting to suffer and with all due respect to what's current if you had to make me choose between one or the other I'm going straight back to writing every time because yeah. that's what I think I'm better at but what's current was born out of wanting to be able to get an outlet to talk about everything else that was going on around what was happening in Basingstoke and actually like and it's not to say like I'm lazy and I don't want to edit but I'm lazy and I don't want to edit. Um, and actually, but as well, there was a gap. Like there's a, th- like when, with all due respect to the many, many good podcasts that do it, whether it's a view from the bridge, whether it's three on three, whether it's cat's whiskers, whether it's all of these different things, like the elite league's oversaturated with the amount of stuff. They're looking at the elite league. There's sod all in the NIHL. Yeah. And I don't know why, because <laughs> there's so much more NIHL. Um, and like, and obviously you're, like you're doing your bits and there's like the wild cast in Swindon with Ben and Tom, when they both remember to be in the same place at the same time to actually record it. Yeah. Um, 
but like what's current was born out of like i want to do something but I, it needs for me it needs to be this kind of quick and like, almost like quick and easy not disposable but like pick up put down and i wanted to be able to do something like that along with all these sort of like longer form pieces that I, stuff that i was doing and yeah the technology like twitter live was a thing for a while yeah it's really good and then twitter live decided like even before elon musk took over twitter started becoming a dumpster fire was it periscope or something was that it was periscope uh and now everything is on youtube for uh for for what's current and i should have made that change sooner um and you know it looks much better now i think and i have joe chatterton who did my who did my graphics for me which look really really nice i'm still learning how to use obs i have no idea how some bits of it work he just told me what to do and i press buttons and it seems to do the things so yeah works but yeah the technology's come on leaps and bounds but ultimately at the end of the day and probably a little bit after you and i finish talking i'm probably going to sit down and probably do some writing in a little bit <laughs> yeah i mean it's the technology with me i mean i'm i'm crap with technology it's mm. it's never been a, a thing that i've been particularly good at i've picked this up uh, relatively quickly actually with with regards to the editing and a lot of the the videos and stuff that i put together mm. but it's it's where it's uh, quite, kind of snowballed so quickly because like you say there was nothing really for especially for nihl one south obviously when i was looking to start doing this i found yourself i found four thousand counting um and three on three as well but they're obviously elite league I think it's P- uh, Pucking Mad is a new one, actually, I think, that's um, covering a little bit down here. Mm. But I have uh, now kind of grown slight like ambitions for it to, to, to grow it slightly further um, to possibly some sort of highlights package, a sort of NIHL match of the day. To... Well, the thing I'd say is drop the puck. Uh, up north who were the guys who uh, drop the puck tv who yeah they do uh, the stream up north don't they they do they do the stuff in witness but they also every so often will do uh and they're all up there um, if you search on you on youtube and this is the other thing i'd say to folks down here in the south and all of you lovely people o- over in Chelm- in chelmsford chelmsford's great but there's a ton of stuff out there go find everything you can't watch it all at the same time obviously but like drop no. the puck if you if you don't if you say to yourself I wonder what one north is like Drop the puck, do a really, really good, like, 90 minutes worth of, like, patching together highlights from bits and pieces. Like, and this is just what's been the great journey for me recently is just, like, coming down a bit more into more of the uh, NHL 1 and uh, one and 2 and just, like, looking at stuff that I just never would have seen before, like Nottingham Lions and, the um, and like, Telford, Telford Tigers 2. And, like, oh, it'd be really nice. Like, Bradford Bulldogs, please, somebody stick a camera in Bradford because I'd love to be able to watch Bradford more than, like, once a year. Um, and, like, I can't imagine, like, what sort of stuff is, like, the new Lee Valley going to have when that mm. opens? Like, because if they've not put, like, an ISDN line into there, I'm going to kick someone. Um, <laughs> I can't but, imagine. Uh, I mean, have you seen have you seen the building? Yes, the, yeah. it looks it looks superb. From the uh, outside, it looks phenomenal. Yeah, it's uh, it's I'm going to I'm going to wait and see uh, in terms of where I'm going next year. Cause of course, with the, with the Bison pausing for a year, there's a the, the question I keep getting asked every five minutes is what are you doing next year? And the answer is I don't really know yeah. uh, because it's April. Um, but the uh, the general feel the general thing for me at the moment, I think, is I'll probably be bouncing. I'll see where Bison players sign and try and kind of do a, do the rounds there. Um, and then I'll try branching out into a few weird places that I've not i've not been so but um yeah the, uh, the the amount of tech at the moment that you're able to do stuff with is is crazy the fact that you know that if you wanted to you could watch like witness wild versus the solihull barons 
in North One that you can do that. And like, I'm I'm waiting to see more clubs do it in South One. Yeah. Uh, to be perfect, to be perfectly honest, it feels like South South One feels like there is a um, South One as a level has always been really, really good. But like the only team that was properly streaming was like MK, which was really weird. But of yeah. course, they've got the kits sat in the box. The kits well sat there, it. yeah. And uh, Tim, I can't remember Tim's last name, but Tim, who was filming for the South One playoffs, mm. just does an incredible job with the the camera up on the gantry, the GoPros at either end. Mm. Um, yeah, it does an absolutely incredible job. As far as I'm aware. Every team has to video their game because if they there's do. a disciplinary issue, they have to supply video or they, they get quite Oxford a heavy got, fine. Oxford got fined, got fined for it this year, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to record it, but the the regulations and the difference between recording for those purposes, you need to have one camera that covers the entire ice. You can literally, for for that, you can just plonk a camera somewhere and as long as it covers the entire ice, mm. you're set. Yeah, um, I think at Chelmsford we do have one of those ones that kind of like remote follows. Yes. And that's all Nottingham use. That's all yeah. the Nottingham Lions use. If you ever watch a Nottingham Lions stream, it's that camera. And they just feed it through and hook it up to YouTube and stick, you know, I mean, Chris Gadsby, Chris Gadsby commentates for the BBC. He's commentated on a women's cup final yesterday mm. for the uh, for the BBC. So they are quite fortunate in the fact that they're able to put like a, a high quality commentator into it rather than the national uh, division one national final, which got me. Um, <laughs> admittedly, George Perry. Really good job you did. Oh, thank you. But um, George Perrett, who was who was calling the play by play on that, was uh, was superb. Watching watching his process before the game, how he did, how he he sorted himself out before was fascinating. It was really really good. But the uh, yeah, there's uh, there's so much stuff out there, and there's so much potential for just what this sport could be. I've I've said it before. British hockey is haunted by its potential, and that's at every level. That's not just about the national team. Uh, although and although and I feel it feels sometimes like people focus too much on that, but yeah, you know, there's 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 good in all of it. It's good in all of it. If I if I can have fun watching Philippines versus Mongolia from the Division Four World Championships in Ulaanbaatar, then we can we can find a way to get something out of um, to get something out of Chelmsford versus Oxford on a Sunday night. I'm pretty certain. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Even I mean, I know the club have said they're not overly keen on on doing live streaming because they want to get as many people in the barn as they can but some this is a nice. myth this is a myth it is a proven myth that doesn't mean anything your live streams will not affect your live gate what you will get is a secondary revenue stream who owns the chieftains because uh, it's, it's the bartlett's dad isn't it derek bartlett yeah. so derek hi derek anthony here it is a proof it has been massively disproven that live streams will affect your live gate because your live gate will be for people from chelmsford and people from chelmsford are not going to choose watching a tiny tiny black disc on a screen over watching it live your live streams are for your away fans and if i was having to travel from oxford to chelmsford i might think twice so i can either get a tenner if they don't turn up in my barn or 15 or nothing at all, 10 pounds is better than no pounds. Knock yourself out. Well said to everybody in the league. If you want to have the argument with me and I'll quite happily sit down in the pub with you and do it. (laughs) Excellent. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Obviously go through the league and talk a little bit about what you do with uh, BOTW. No problem Uh, at all. Always happy, always happy to, always happy to poke my head above the parapet. So, uh, Made you know made a career. I'm an articulate loudmouth is what I've uh, is what I've told people for a very very long time. So I have no intentions of stopping. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't think I've got a title like that yet. <laughs>
It's coming. Don't worry. Oh, It'll I'm come. sure. I'm sure. I'm waiting for the bad reviews first. The good ones have been lovely. The the stuff the Chieftains fans and other people in the league have messaged me. Just the, the nicest things. I'm really looking forward to some hate. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll sign that off there. Thank you very much indeed. No sir. worries, mate. No worries, mate. Not at all. Not a problem at all. A huge thank you to Anthony Russell from Banners on the Wall for joining me. If you've not caught up with Banners on the Wall, obviously you're going to have to wait till next season now. But it is absolutely brilliant. Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock, live on YouTube. Anthony runs through all of the National League. The National 1, North, South. There's two North and South. There's a live chat on there as well, so you can get involved. He's very, very interactive, and he always responds to everything that's on there. So it's absolutely brilliant for you know just our level of hockey to have that much exposure. Right then, coming next, I'm so excited about this. Unfortunately, we've not done this via video, so it won't be on YouTube, but we've done it over the phone. I have finally nailed down Sonny Phillips. Chieftain, Reinder, netminder extraordinaire, and without doubt, one of the most popular players to ever grace the ice at the Riverside. Sonny Phillips, thank you for joining me. How's things? Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming, this chat, I think. It has, it has. Obviously, your uh, your change of club in mid-season made it slightly difficult. You were When yeah. we started, you were always one of the guests I wanted to get on. Yeah, to be fair, I've always wanted to come on. TJ's on the first one, and... Since then, we ain't stopped talking about it, really. Yeah, <laughs> he has a, he's had the most popular video actually, but I've had a little bit of technology yeah. trouble this week with the video, so we are actually just doing this over the phone. I reckon, uh, I reckon TJ's family just keep hitting the view button just to have them views right up. Yeah. <laughs> well, his, his mum gave me the grilling over the playoff weekend as well, so I, I do know they yeah. they all enjoy it, which is lovely. Oh, good. So, Shout out to Caroline. Yeah, we got got to love Caroline. <laughs> then 50-50 tickets don't sell themselves. <laughs> so, for the second half of your season, then, you were a Raider, and congratulations, you made the playoff semi-finals and had quite a good game in the semi-finals yourself. Yeah, I think I think for for us, it was a, a big achievement to get to the uh, to get to the semi-final weekend. Also, we had Slough, which is a tough opponent, but the boys, the boys, we done it. We had a good away leg, and. Um, we just played solid the away leg, and then the home leg was, I mean, up and down like a roller coaster. But we uh, we scraped the win, which yep. was good enough to get us to the uh, weekend. But I think because we got to the weekend, it was a season well done, really. Yeah, it was it was proper playoff hockey that second leg against Slough, wasn't it? It was madness. Yeah, I mean, we went we went three nil or four nil down in like ten minutes, and everyone dropped their heads. But I mean, the team done well to come back. The players done well, the coach done well, so it was a it was a good job to come back. Really, I was proud of them. Yeah, and then you took the lead against Streatham whilst you were up there. But then, yeah, it... yeah, I mean, for, for for us, it's hard because we don't necessarily have the skill and the depth, but hard work gets us through. Obviously, the likes of TJ Anderson is an unbelievable player, and an unbelievable talent. Mm. But uh, I think Streatham have just got that them four lines who can go out and score goals at any any point and 
unfortunately, they've got the better of us. But, I mean, we, we've done well just to get one goal in first. So, yeah, we've done, we done well just to, really. Yeah, I think, yeah, it still, it still gave them a game. They had, they had to work for the victory that they got, so that's... Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I wished it was a bit closer, but I think after... After a few goals went in, we sort of started to drop our heads a bit, and we uh, but we kept it close. I mean, it weren't it weren't disastrous, but uh, maybe on a, a good day we could have uh, had them, but it weren't to be. No, so I mean, with your hockey career in general, spent quite a lot of it at Chelmsford. You've um, yes, but you're only twenty five. It seems like you've been around for years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think, oh, I'm a I'm a bit older than I think I am, but. <laughs> I'm I'm not retiring just yet, but it, it might it might be close. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there's many people listening to this that would be glad to hear that. So, I mean, with your time as at youth hockey, was there a bit of time at Slough in there as well? Yeah, so um, me and my brother started. I don't know, we was, was like six or seven at Romford, and then uh, under fourteens we moved to Slough for two years. My older brother moved to Slough. We all sort of moved to Slough, but. The problem with Slough is such a commute. We was going there three, four times a week, hour, hour there, hour back on a good day, mm. sometimes two hours. But yeah, we had a really, really good time at Slough. I've got a lot of the, a lot of the um, Stratton boys are at Slough. We, uh, I really enjoyed that part. And then uh, we moved back to Romford for a few years. And then when the rink closed, I moved to uh, Chelmsford. Yeah, and came right through yeah. the academy there. Right yeah, so... 18s, uh, Warriors. Uh, We've done really well at Warriors. Warriors was some of the best years of my hockey, I, I think. Uh, I had such a good time. And then um, started playing for Chiefs about five, six years ago, something like that. Yeah, and we, I have had one of your um, one of your net-minded partners on previously, Frankie Sabini. Yeah, yeah, big old Frank. <laughs> yeah, he said he'd, he'd come back to sort of just get some fitness and sort of be a backup to you whilst you're at the Chieftains because you, you became the, the first choice netminder at a really young age. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, to be fair, my first season was the last the last season for the Chieftains in the uh, the league above. Yeah. And then uh, all the, the league restructured and we moved around and we, we, we sort of moved down to the lower league. But I didn't really... I, I was happy with... Where where I was at, and I didn't really want to move up or down, so I stayed at Chelmsford, and I really enjoyed it. To be fair, yeah. Who who was your sort of your biggest inspiration at Chelmsford then that that sort of played above you? Uh, ben Clements and Ewan King, two yeah. again two great goalies for Chelmsford. I mean that they was in, they they played for Chelmsford in the heyday, like some of the best seasons. I mean, the, the couple of seasons before I joined, they all, they won the quadruple. Every cup you could win, uh, I mean that that's a that was a big achievement. But some of the players like James Alien was there, the Bartlett's were there, a lot of players, Breezy was there, a lot of players were there, and and won that quadruple. And then I come a few years later after that. Yeah, that was a, a real period of of success for Chelmsford then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But obviously, so growing up, my brother played for Romford, and back then Romford Chelmsford was a big game. I mean, he used to sell out. I remember going to Romford. Being a massive crowd, great games, great atmosphere, going to Chelmsford and the same happening. So, uh, yeah, I, I watched all of that happen and then I sort of ended up playing for the Chieftains, which is something that I always sort of wanted to do. 
Yeah, and, uh, and did it yeah. fantastically as well. I mean, we had a you know a few sort of relatively successful years with odd trophy here and there. A good season, season before last, getting to the uh, the playoff final. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we we've always historic. Well, Chelsea has always historically done well. We've always again, sorry, I keep saying we. Um, <laughs> Chelsea has always um, put together good teams, good competitive quality teams, which is. Uh, which is something that I always wanted to be a part of. So, uh, yeah, we've we done well. We have ups and downs, just like every hockey team, because juniors come through and juniors leave and things happen. But, uh, yeah, I enjoy, I've enjoyed it. Well, with, with juniors, uh, a man who was your understudy last year and has stepped up this year of, since of your departure, how good is Luca Tassadri? Luca's fantastic. It'll be an unbelievable goal. He's just got to keep pushing himself. Mm. Which sometimes, sometimes I look back on my career and for me, obviously work is so important and work sometimes gets in the way. I try not to let it get in as well as much as possible. But I think Luca, all Luca's got to do is keep training, keep pushing himself, keep going and he'll, and he'll keep going. He's an unbelievable goal. He's got a great mindset. And he uh, he just got to keep pushing himself, which I'm sure he will. Yeah. To be fair, because uh, and he deserves it. He's on the ice every day. He trains every day. He deserve he deserves it. I mean, I love I love him like a brother. So I'm yeah. proud of him. <laughs> there is there is quite a um a strange relationship really between goalies, isn't it? You're you're a very special breed of people. Yeah, I mean, so I've always I've always tried to get on as well as possible with the second goalie. And to be fair. I mean, Chelsea, the majority of the time I've been there, there's always been two good goalies. So I've always tried to get on with the other goalies as much as possible. I mean, Luca's special, I think, just because of his personality. But uh, there's definitely something strange about goalies in general. Yeah, I think yeah, anyone who wants to willingly stand in front of a puck being hit at you at God knows how fast. Yeah. I think for, for me, I was just the... Because I obviously have two brothers, I was just the unlucky one that had to go in the net. <laughs> They had they uh they have to shoot on someone otherwise it's boring so I was the one who volunteered to go in the net in the garden and uh, that was all she wrote and I loved it to be fair I still do love it yeah. but I still play yeah that's I think that's something actually that a lot of the fans do uh, sort of relate to with you is that your enjoyment of the sport is clear for everybody to see yeah I, I think the end the end of the day no matter what the score is you've got to enjoy it and if if you're not enjoying it you shouldn't be there. And for me, uh, passion is a big thing for me as well. And I think enjoyment and passion sort of go hand in hand. If you're enjoying it, you're going to be passionate about it. And yeah. I try to be as passionate as possible when I'm out there. Absolutely. I mean, I've spoken with some of the other guys about the levels of commitment that are required, but but your working schedule, and particularly around winter, does crank the pressure up on your hockey playing. How, yeah, how, I mean, how do you deal with that? <laughs> For me, again, like I said a minute ago, there's always been two good goalies at Chelmsford. So, I, it sort of, it's helped me in a way because I only have to play one out of every two games. Mm. So, I could I could relax a bit and and let the other goalie strive as well because sometimes the more, goal, the more games you get, the better you get. The same, like, I'm happy, I was happy for Luca to go in the net. I'm, I was happy for Ben to go in the net. I mean, I, like I said, I've always I've always shared a net with people, but work work is very important at Christmas. But I do still like to 
get in get in as many trainings as possible and as many games as possible. Yeah, I mean, we won't go into too many sort of specifics and details in regarding the, your departure from Chelmsford, but that was at the crux of it, wasn't it? Uh, I don't really know. I think, for me, communication is the, the, the key part. And I, I, I don't really have much to say about it because it is what it is. I mean, it's opened new doors for me. I'm at Romford. I'm happy at Romford. I hope they're happy with me. Uh, but, yeah, so... I think that's the past. I don't. I don't really dwell on it much at all because hockey's hockey. Things happen. I would have loved to stay at Chelsea my whole career, but it wasn't meant to be. So I think I found a new home at Romford, which I'm, uh, which I'm quite happy about. To be fair. Yeah, and it's kind of actually broken that barrier down between the fans, especially some of the younger fans. I mean, you would have seen at the playoff <laughs> finals, there was plenty of Chieftain fans there that were actually just there to watch you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, another thing, I, relationship with the fans has always been important to me because without the fans, the, the team is nothing. Mm. So I've always liked to speak to people and I like to hear their stories and I like to get to know everyone. Um, the, the girls that come and see me, I mean, I'm chuffed, I'm chuffed that they make the effort to come and see me, really. But, uh, yeah, fans are so important to the game. Without fans... I mean, most teams wouldn't exist. No, of course, yeah. It's, it's not a sport that gets much sort of financial help from anywhere, so it's... Um... Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very... it's a very. I mean, I, I've been lucky, so I've been able to play, but for a lot of people, it's, it's outpriced. Mm. It's just... It's just it's not like you can go grab a football from Sports Direct and go down to the local field. Exactly, yeah. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah, with, without fans... The sport is nothing, and that's why I've always tried to make a, a special, a special relationship with everyone. Because, well, I suppose I'm, <laughs> I just try to be a people person. Yeah, <laughs> you certainly are that, mate. Yeah. Certainly are that. Yeah. Uh, with regards to your kit, then your your helmet is always sort of quite quite popular amongst people, sort of saying, but you can't really see exactly what it is from the ice. What is the story with your helmet? Uh, at the moment, I've got on it. What have I got on it? Oh, I've got the Peaky Blinders. Mm. I think for the last three or four helmets, I've always had uh, a film themed helmet. I had the uh, Godfather on one, Cray Twins from uh, the Legend on another. I've got the Peaky Blinders because I think it's one of the best series going. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, that much and, to the dismay uh, of your mate Frankie Sabini, I see? <laughs> yeah, oh Frank, story about that. Yeah, but he told us. Think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I just, I just think the whole, the filming of it, the characters, I think it's a fantastic series. And uh, my new helmet, I'm gonna get a uh, Wolf of Wall Street on it. Oh, uh, that is a fantastic film. That's easily in my. I'm top carrying film. on the, I'm carrying on the film uh, theme for that. So b- between me and you. Are you having the Margot Robbie nude bit on there? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, <laughs> just the uh, the bit where um, he's throwing cash over the boat. Yeah, excellent yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you ever played? Oh, I'm sure we'll see it at one point or another. Absolutely, yeah. So, have you ever played out on the ice as as a player, or have you always played in goal? Not. Not really. I've pretty much always, or maybe my first season back at Romford, but when you can hardly skate and hardly pass the puck. But 
I specifically remember like them games saying we need a goalie and there was me volunteering saying, yeah, I'll go in the goal. <laughs> <laughs> but even back then, I mean, uh, there was two of us, me and Dennis, Dennis the Menace. So we uh, we shared the goal back then. I think I've always shared the goal my whole career. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just re- I really love getting in the net and letting the the problem with being a goal. I'm sure everyone knows is you're either hero or zero. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like there's a more zero there's more zeros than heroes. But uh, but it's also I think, a sport. I, I, I've, I've discussed yeah, though, it's, it's unlike any other team sport where a, a goalie can win a game on their own in hockey. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And definitely, especially when a goalie's having a good game and it's, um, everyone knows how hard it is to score against certain goalies sometimes when they're standing on their head and it hits the post and it hits the crossbar, but you have to be good to be lucky. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, definitely, I've, I've win, definitely I've win, win games. Yeah, I've witnessed you do it myself with my own eyes. I've, I've <laughs> witnessed you win a game on your own. So it's, yeah, I know it's certainly possible. Uh, I've got some questions yeah. here from the listeners, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, some of them I'm going to sort of try and word a, a little, a little better than, than, <laughs> they, than they came through because I don't want to really lead you down too many weird paths. Um, Emily Palmer has asked that. I don't think this is going to be a sort of a, a controversial thought or anything like that. Just your thought in general on Petr Cech as to, you know, how he's sort of gone from being a football goalie to an ice hockey goalie from your professional opinion. Is he any good? Uh, well, to be fair, I don't really know him. I only met him once or twice. Um, I'm sure he's a lovely person. Uh, yeah, I think for our league, he definitely fits in our league. Uh, again, I think commitments get in the way of a lot of a lot of people but that ain't just goalies that's everyone yeah everyone everyone has work duties everyone can't make certain trainings and certain games because of because what, what unfortunately for us work is second i, I jo- i'm sorry hockey is second yeah it's got work pays yeah. the bills and 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 it's that first so but unfortunately for goalies you know it's hit a lot more because there's only two of you yeah whereas and there's 15 other players, you don't really notice if someone's missing or not there and people can step up quite easily. But for a goalie, it's a big hole to fill. Yeah. But yeah, but I, mean, I mean, he played brilliantly for Guildford a few years ago. They won the cup with him. So I'm sure he's a good enough goalie. I, I haven't really watched much of him to, to say, but yeah, he's definitely a good enough goalie for our league. Yeah. Lovely. I got a question from Cam Mercer. Asked, "What's your favourite thing to do in the off season?" Go on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart, Stuart Phillips will know that for sure. But uh, yeah, to go on holiday and relax. Excellent. This and my girl, my girlfriend would say, "Take her out on a date or something." Oh yeah. Well, have you taken her on a holiday? Like that's like one big date. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> Got one, got one here. This I reckon this could be an interesting one. Danny Inglesby has said, "What was it like billeting with me in England under 13s Yeah, I mean we've got some stories about that. Quebec. Whenever it was 2010, I think it was. Oh, you went. You guys went to Quebec then. Yeah, yeah. We we all went to Quebec. I mean, Vanya was there. My twin brother was there. We had a brilliant time in Quebec. Fantastic memories. I mean, the whole my whole England career, I loved every minute of it. Um, just memories that you make for a lot for the whole for your lifetime and things you look back on and 
when you when you're out there, you don't really think about it. But now I'm a bit older, and I look back, I think of how many good times we had and what a laugh we had all together. That Dan's a character. I mean, he's a character on the ice. You can tell now, but back then he was even more funny. <laughs> Has he calmed down a bit in his early twenties? Has he? Uh, yeah, sort of. But I, I remember how funny he was back then. And when he's out on the ice, he's always saying something to me like, "Oh, why can't you let that one in?" And to be fair, I normally do let him in for him. <laughs> uh, Scotty Minard has asked, "What's the best save you've made?" Um. I've got a bit of a memory like a fish. I don't remember much. I remember there was a there was a save I, I I made for the Warriors one year in like a semi final, which was like a spinorama and just just luck to be fair. But luck was in my favour that day. I spun around and I hit it mid air and cleared it from the line. But uh, yeah, that was probably one of my best saves. Someone had it on record, so oh, it's in the it's in the phone somewhere, but. That was probably one of my best saves I've ever made. Yeah, I, I'm going to actually add to this. There's one that I saw you make. Uh, I think it was not not the season just gone, the season before, down at Solent. Uh, we won 9-0, but I think they actually outshot us. And you, I think you had a 41-shot shutout. And one... Yeah, probably probably the last game I played well in, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I think they... Uh... They took a shot and you sort of saved it in the front. But as you went down, the puck went out to the left. And as they shot it in, you just managed to move your right leg back. And it, I think it just caught the tip of your blade and stayed out. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, <laughs> but And then to yeah, finish with a shutout, it just made it even better. Occasionally I play well. <laughs> <laughs> Very occasionally these days. <laughs> Leah and Dan has asked, who has got the hardest shot? Uh, I mean, Cam and Grant both have really hard shots. Uh, who else? Um, yeah, Cam and Grant shots when they hit you and they normally hurt. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I don't really know who else in our league. Um, I'm sure there's other players, but I can't really remember at the moment. But yeah, yeah. Cam and Grant are the ones yeah, I can't actually think of too many that, that actually wind up and hit the puck quite like Cam and Grant do. Yeah, I always think my big brother, his, his, his shots always used to hurt, but I suppose when you're in the garden and you're not wearing much protection, they hurt a lot more. <laughs> yeah, and he's probably trying to hit you <laughs> rather than score. Yeah, yeah he's, he was probably trying to hurt me anyway. <laughs> uh, Linda Eater has asked, uh, can you obviously just talking about good saves there, but can you recall a game that was your greatest challenge and did, did one of them involve a shootout? Um, a game, I don't really remember many games. That, that uh, Solent game a few years ago stands out. Uh, Solent's always been a bit 50-50 for me, but I've always enjoyed playing there. Um, with Romford, we won there a couple uh, weeks before the end of the season. We won in a shootout there, which was a good game. Uh, but yeah, no, no games really stand out to me as an unbelievable performance. As long as the team wins, I'm happy normally. Yeah, and I suppose, to be fair, it's in a shootout. There's no pressure on you really at all, is there? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I, I, I always beat myself up when I let in goals. Only because I always, I always think, ah, oh, if you've done this or if you've done that, you could have saved it. But yeah, shootout's hard because it's so 50-50, but... I tried to save them all. 
Yeah, but it's, I suppose you you probably got people as well that you kind of know what they're going to do. I suppose as well, don't you? Yeah, I, I, I've <laughs> all the boys would say I probably guess a bit too much because I, I I like the thrill of trying to know where they're shooting, <laughs> not waiting. But uh, yeah, I, I I tend to know where people are going to shoot, and if if I'm feeling uh, quite good in training, I'll shout out before they shoot just to throw them off a bit. Uh, then we've got one for uh, this stretch come from Georgia. It's come from my daughter, Jocelyn. It's come from quite a few different people. Why do you wear number 44? Uh, I, I, I never wanted to wear one. Uh, someone once told me you should always have a, have a routine before playing. And for me, my routine wanted to stay the same whether I was in the goal or not in the goal. So, I never wanted to wear number one because everyone used to think number one was like the starting goalie. But, but so I never wanted to wear number one. Forty-four double numbers always stood out to me. Um, I wore thirty-three for a bit, but I always liked uh, Andreas Kaminskas uh, for Romford. I mean, he, he's a he was an unbelievable player. He's a brilliant man as well, and uh, I always liked his number. So I sort of. Uh, when I could choose my own number, I sort of went went with his 44. <laughs> yeah, but it, really it's because of Kaminskas, Palmer. Crack it. Uh, yeah. This one I'm looking forward to. I'm sure when there's a story to this. Matty Turner has asked, what is today's fact of the day? Today's fact of the day? God, it's caught me. I, I, don't, I don't normally make facts of the day when uh, I've not got hockey on, but... I'll try and think of one in a minute. You have to ask me another a few questions, and I'll uh, I'll let you know about a fact of the day. Is that is that something you'd always bring up in the changing room? Then you'd always teach the boys a thing or two. Yeah, to be fair, it, it it started four or five years ago, and I remember on on the way to uh, hockey. I'm quite a boring person. I normally listen to LBC, and there was an advert that used to say one fact. And I used to get to training and we'd be all sitting around stretching. And I would say, did you know? And that was the fact of the day. <laughs> um, and and Will, Will Polston was a big big supporter of fact of the day. And uh, it all, every, every Tuesday and Thursday, I used to come to training with a fact. <laughs> and everyone used to love to hear it. So, uh, yeah, that's where it stemmed from. And uh, I sort of... Uh, I like the camaraderie around it. Everyone would get up and start laughing or we'd start debating about the facts, whether it was true or false. So, yeah. Well, uh, Will, Will Polston's actually coming on at the start of next season. So we'll see if Will's oh, really? got a fact of the day as well. Yeah, he'll have a fact for you. <laughs> he has just as many facts as me. <laughs> now, the last couple here, unfortunately, I was going to sort of try and get this done with a video and a couple of the young Chieftains fans were going to come on and ask you these these questions, but unfortunately, yeah. I've not been able to get it done. Um, I'm sure that you're more than aware of Charlie and Sophia, who are yeah. big supporters of yours. Charlie wants to know if she can have one of your sticks. There's some in the, there's some in the Chieftains changing room. <laughs> she can have them. Oh, so Luca's Luke, got, got them, I think. Has he? I'm sure we all know where the changing room is. We just follow the smell. Yeah. And then yeah. we can find it. It ain't market that smells. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll no, keep mine fresh. Yeah, I think the uh, it was Dan Hitchens that won that this year at the awards for the smelliest kit. Smelliest kit? No, it's not mine. Uh, and uh, and Jada Balker <laughs> won for the, the person who will never shower. 
Sally, thank yeah. you so much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate you giving up your time. I'm glad we've finally sort of got this nailed in and managed to, to chat. Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure. We'll have to do one again on video sometime. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I'm it's still so... trying to think of a fact, though. You're it's still trying to me. I said, I'm still trying to think of a fact. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of one. I'm running out of time. <laughs> But as soon as you know what you are doing next season, make sure you come back on and tell us and we'll do a video that way. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy my summer, definitely. Absolutely. You fully deserve to as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. You're all very welcome, sir. Yeah, thank you. A huge thank you to Sonny Phillips for taking half an hour out of his evening to join me. He's one of the players I desperately wanted to get on the podcast when I started doing it and we finally nailed him down and got him on. And hopefully once we find out what he's doing next season, he will come back on and we'll do that over video this time so we can see hopefully his happy face as he tells us what he's, where he's going to be playing hockey next year. Well, that is it. Episode 31 is in the bank. It's been a really, really long one as well. I really do hope you enjoy it. I've certainly enjoyed doing it. Fantastic stuff from Anthony Russell as well, joining me for the season review. If you haven't checked out Banners on the Wall, make sure you go and do that next season, Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock live on YouTube. We do have one final episode for this season that is coming next week. There'll be as much Chieftains news as we know, any other Chelmsford-based news, any other GB news that we know of. But the next week's episode will mainly be for the Solent Devils fans. I will be joined by Chico Cole, who'll be talking me through his career, his retirement, and his love of all things Solent Devils. So I do hope that you all join me for that. Despite, obviously, the team sort of rivalries, he's... He's gone down as one of the best goalkeepers to ever play in this league, so I'm sure we'll all be interested to hear how his career has gone for him. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you, everyone, that shares and likes and sort of word of mouth spreads about the podcast. It really does all help uh, grow it in certain different directions, and I really do appreciate all the lovely, kind words that everyone does say to me about it. It does make it feel very worthwhile and, and time well spent. So hope this has been your time well spent. We've broken the two-hour mark for the first time this season. Wonder if that'll be a thing to come. Thank you very much. I'll see you next time. This podcast is hosted by Anchor on Spotify. It is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast outlets. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to get notifications about new episodes. 
Follow us on social media, Instagram at Zero Pucks Given Podcast, Twitter at Zero Pucks Pod, YouTube at Zero Pucks Given, email Zero Pucks Given Podcast at gmail.com. The music in this podcast is taken from Spotify and I do not own the tracks. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Podcast Network.